0: Welcome to Rogue Bogues, episode 16 of the Basketball Podcast. Welcome once again. Good to be joined by Mr. Pro. How's it going?
1: Well, it would have been fucking better, Bogues, if last week you didn't say a dog was chirping behind me and it was actually my son. So I had the ASPCA trying to fucking take my dogs away from me and then I had child services come to my house (laughs) because they think I was treating my kid like a fucking dog. I appreciate that. So, thanks, thanks to you. Kudos.
0: Oh, man. I apologize. I apologize. It's, it's the, I'm going to blame the bad audio that we got, you know, just muffled sound. That's my excuse. <laughs> but I can say, I can say if, it, if it was your son that sounded like a dog, he's already speaking better English than you do.
1: I mean, look at my, look at my genes that I got. I mean, you can't get more fucking defective genes that I have. I wouldn't <laughs> doubt it. I thought he would sound like a hippo, to be honest with you, but I'll take a dog any day of the week.
0: Well, we uh, had a, had another busy week. We have we have a great interview coming up, by the way, which we'll um, keep under wraps right now. But stay tuned for some information on that. But. Just as we were about to do the podcast, some news broke. Um, the Minnesota Timberwolves look like they're about to sell former Major Leaguer Alex Rodriguez and billionaire Mark Law, who has been involved in numerous different companies, started his own companies and, and, and um, whatnot. So, got a bit of coin to him. But uh, the rumor goes that he'll be buying the team from Glenn Taylor, who hasn't had a lot of su- a whole lot of success there. There's been some turmoil there. The fans aren't too happy with how the organization's running. Anyhow, it looks like. It'll be two years until they take over. The deal's still new, still being negotiated, 2023 is looking like. Valuation for the sale is rumoured to be around $1.5 billion to purchase today. This is a club that was valued at $265 million in 2010 and then valued at $1.4 billion in start of this year. So, but it's basically a 428% jump in valuation despite only making the playoffs once in the last 15 years. How do you see all that, bro?
1: Bogues, it's pretty incredible. You know, for, these sales are tough you know uh, with these teams you always hear about things um and then things fall through but i, I know a couple of people tried to uh, buy the team but 1.5 billion is just going to drive up prices for these other teams i, I wouldn't think that they were wor- they were worth that much and you know, i think it's a little bit overvalued for what they were really worth i haven't checked the numbers on it but it just it, it goes to show you you just hold on to these teams and they're just going to appreciate and value it's uh it's pretty impressive. Do you think they're going to keep the team there or do you think if they do sell?
0: Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Let's crystal ball it. I mean, it, there's, there's rumors that, you know, I saw some memes under the – this was broken by Woj as well, so let's credit Woj with that. But um, under the under his tweet, there were already photoshops of, of Ed Woods and Towns in a Seattle <laughs> Seattle Supersonics uniform. So, the, the, there's, there's smoke already that they're going to move the team and both these guys – I don't think uh, Mark Law does, pretty positive, but both these guys have no ties to Minnesota as a city or a, or a state. So, you know, maybe the writing is on the wall that eventually they'll look to move that team.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the NBA, they're begging to have a team in Seattle, especially with, you know, how that went down or how the team went to Oklahoma City. Um, I listened to a podcast about it, about how that sale went down, and, 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 you know, they got a little bit of sore, you know, sore spot about it, and the league wants to get back there. And, you know, it's uh, an A-Rod having a lot of, you know, sort of clout in Seattle and, and sort of played for the Seattle Mariners for a long time. Uh, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting how they do things there, but $1.5 that's incredible. But they do own their own building, so when the Clippers sold for $2 billion and they didn't own their building at the time, you know, they, they do own that Target Center that's downtown, uh, so I, I, I would assume that that's part of the sale as well, so $1.5 though, man, those, you know, those, uh, those team prices.
0: Owning work. the Target Center is like owning a, a shed and that's your principal place of residence, you know, like it's... <laughs> It's an arena. You
1: mean it's like me invested in broccoli for a week?
0: Yeah, it's it's not the best arena, and, and that would be my other thing. Now that these these two fellows have taken, you know, are going to take over majority ownership of the Minnesota Timberwolves, the question is if if we don't start hearing about you know, some rumblings about a new arena in the next year or two, uh, I strongly believe that they will move because they, they need a new arena. The arena is one of the oldest in the league now.
1: Bogues, they put big money into redoing it. It actually looks really nice. Like. As far as like they redid the seats, they redid the, uh, they they put, uh, it was like a two-year project. It was after you left. They've done about two years of remodeling on the thing. And the last time I was there, I was there about a year ago. It looks really nice, but it'll be interesting what they do with that. A lot of owners, they come in, they got big ideas as far as like, you know, doing different things and, it'll be interesting to see what, what happens if and when they take the team over. But yeah, like you said, obviously then
0: you're paying 1.5 bill, all right, they had their own arena. I mean, what does this mean for the Lakers and and um, the Golden State Warriors and, and these kind of teams, New York Knicks? I mean, they're, they're, they're starting to, you know, people rumored 4 or 5 billion, but shit, you look at these numbers, I think it's even north of that. Yeah, agreed. All right, so I'm going to give Stan Van Gundy some credit, which doesn't happen very often. Oh, wow. I'm not a huge fan of his coaching and just how he goes about it, but he did something unique, or not unique, but something that's not done very often. Alonzo Ball was out with a sore hip. The Pelicans decided to fully lean into point guard Zion. So instead of having him initiate the offense following three throws and, and just dead balls, which they do a lot, he basically took over the ball handling duties for the whole game. It, it proved to be very, very efficient, 37 points, 15 rebounds, eight assists masterpiece against one of the league's elite defensive teams. And look, I think – it's something that I think they can do. I really do. I mean, I don't see what teams can do to kind of stymie it. As we know, teams will will play the – try to at least bait him into shooting some threes and play off him and do all that fun stuff. But as we know, if you all of a sudden put him at the point guard position, it's very hard to do that because he can be a great handoff guy. He can hand off set hard screens. He can get downhill with, with the four spread with four shooters around him. So, I mean, I don't know if you saw that game, I saw a little bit of the highlights, but it was a it was a great effort and I thought it was a really good adjustment by Stan.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been very critical of his skill level you know, coming into the season and I'll tell you what, their development of him with his shooting and, and his ball handling, I mean, he he's done a great job developing that and, and, and getting to a higher level now. Um, he changes speeds really well. He's a really good finisher. Even when he doesn't dunk it, you know, he can get in there and finish. The only thing I would probably do if they're going to go long, long term with this, uh, is probably pick him up full and force him to turn and turn and turn. If you double him on pick and rolls, he's just going to hit that short roller. So it's not, I mean, he's got pretty good basketball IQ with that. So, you know, I think that would be tough just to double him all the time. I think he'll, he'll sort of, he might struggle with that for a little bit, but he'll, he'll catch on. He's a tough kid. Um, it was pretty interesting man I mean just seeing him attack the basket and you know was like he didn't get stripped he's like the fucking guy's like Bo Jackson I mean he's he's like he, you know you can't really like put him in any position you can't really define his game but he just puts his head down and he's so hard to stop and he's such an elite level athlete it's an interesting he's an interesting watch man he's You know, I think Carlisle compared him to Shaquille O'Neal with ball handling skills or something like that a week or two ago or three weeks ago when they played. But it's, it's hard to sort of pinpoint who he is and what he does. But he just, man, he, he dominates. I mean, 26 seven and three shooting 70% from the line this year, 36 from the three. He's, you know, my hat's off to the kid.
0: Yeah, and you, you hit on the head with what I was going to say is the teams, and if they go to this full-time, do you then put a, a Rajon Rondo and Avery Bradley pit bull that picks him up full court and just tries to turn him and make life hell for him, for him. But then he does get that ball over half court, then you know, all of a sudden you're… You know, Rajon shitting himself, trying to get a switch to to not get taken down to the low post. So it will be interesting to see if they do that because that would be a go-to. But I'm just not sure how that would work for long stretches.
1: Yeah, they'd probably shift it in and out. They'll probably just use it as something extra they could do, give ball a little bit of a break, or, or just sort of switch things up. But I mean, it's a great, it's a great you know issue to have. It's a great resource to have. And like I said, he. You know he's just he accelerates he's like a s you know he's like a, a a locomotive like just full steam ahead when he changes speeds like that and gets in into the pain area I just don't you just can't stop the kid yeah and he's so
0: his body's so wide as it is he's, he's got quickness and then he's got strength on top of that so even if you wanted to take a charge first off you gotta try to get the middle of his body which is wider than most guys to get in good legal position to take a charge then he's got the speed he's, he's starting to get downhill quick he can kind of half euro now like it's it's a tough ask and like you said you can't really define his position you know at one point we were both advocating to tie him at the five but I think you can do essentially a .5 in phases you all of a sudden put some shooters around him, get Adams out of that lineup. It's like holy shit! Like, what do you you know? You essentially Giannis um, like with what they did in Milwaukee last season when they had all those shooters around him, and still kind of do it this season. But where he's just attacking the middle of the floor, and then you got to pick your poison on. Okay, are we just gonna are we just gonna hedge in and and, and leave the shooters and, and hope they miss? You know,
1: you try to put a fucking charge on him, you might as well have you know sell gravestones in the fucking arena because you know two eighty five. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like. You know, you try to take a charge on him. It's like what a pizza looks like when I fucking try to attack it. It's fucking, it's RIP, brother.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good, good point. Good point. But, um, We'll, we'll watch that one closely. I hope they continue with it. it. It helps. I think it helps Adams as well. You can stick him down in that dunker spot now. And, and you know, I think playing Zion and Adams together on the block and elbows isn't a good philosophy moving forward because it just there's, – there's no room in the paint. There's no floor spacing. But now you figure out a way. Let's run things sh- strictly through Zion with as point guard duties. And with the way Lonzo Ball shooting the ball now from three, it's, you know, it, it doesn't um, leave Lonzo out to dry either. You know, he can still play valuable minutes for him. So, it be interesting to watch. And-
1: Bogues he's yeah he's 70 from the line and 36 from three not that he takes a lot of threes he only attempts about a 0.5 per game but like forget about the three but the free throw like last year wasn't like that so he's not a liability on no like he used to be dominating on like in the paint doing you know driving it what have you posting up but he was a liability big space in the floor and free throw shooting especially down the clutch now he's at 70 he's much better you know, now he's not as much of a liability in those situations anymore. And fuck, I mean, he's he's impressive. Agreed. He impresses me for sure. We'll keep watching that one.
0: I've got a gripe, or just I need to pick your brain. What the LA Clippers, man, what are they missing? What is going on? Look, I've, I've seen a fair few of their games. A lot of their games are on ESPN here because they're a marquee team. They've had some lineup changes along the way. You know, uh, they've had some injuries, obviously. They're still resting guys a lot in different games um, between Kawhi and Paul George. And I think this was a huge issue for them last season. They just couldn't get any continuity of, of, of playing together and familiarity with each other. And I think that's a big part of, especially teams that are. That are Fresh and they were a fresh team last season. One game they look like they're going to win a championship. And then you go to the next game and they lose to a, a horrible Orlando team when they're up double digits. So, I mean, what is going on? I think, look, I think they've been better. Um, my guy, if it's a Zubats, moving him into the starting lineup, I think has helped them a little bit. It just provides a big body that doesn't need the ball. He'll hit people, he'll block shots. Not a 40-minute guy, but I think they played a little bit better with that movement of him in the starting lineup. But Shit, I mean, what why isn't it clicking? It just it just looks so clunky to me and, and the elephant in the room is time is of the essence. Like they can't, you know, just turn this on in the playoffs because they haven't they haven't turned it on yet in the last 18 months.
1: I, I think the more we sort of look at these things through a lens, it's like I think the regular season Guys just sort of turn it on and turn it off. And for some, they just don't give a fuck. And it's not a bad, like, it's not a great thing. Don't get me wrong. It's not like they're quitters or anything. They compete and they, they play and yeah, they rest it and they do this. But I just think that these guys try to, you know, not just the Clippers, but most teams try to gear this up towards the playoffs and, you know, try to turn it on. And, you know, look, you know, they take a lot of tough shots offensively. They, you know, they isolate a lot. Not a lot of movement out of their offense. There's not a lot of cutting going on. Um, defensively, they're not as good as they were. Their bench isn't as good as they were. You know, you know, remember they lost Montrez Harrell to, Harrell to uh to free agency, like their death chart off the bench. You know, Lou Williams didn't really play well before he got traded. You know, you bring Rondo in, and I think Rondo sort of gives him a different look because it gets the ball out of George and Kawhi's hands all the time. And he allows themselves to sort of like put those guys in better situations, but they got. To, it's not just going to be Rondo helping them win a championship. They're going to have to turn it on, and those guys just don't. They're not wired like that, where they're just turning it on all the time. And it, you just see it more and more in the NBA, where the regular season doesn't really matter as much. It matters for the big games and the big, you know a lot of the big teams, but especially if you're playing a team that you're supposed to dominate, like an Orlando Magic. You just like, fuck it, we're just, you know, they, you expect them. I've seen this well, close up where you you expect a team, to, and I'm sure you have a thousand times where you expect a team just to roll over and some teams just don't roll over. And if you have the mentality of like, you know, we're just, gonna, we're just better than you and we're going to win, that shit ain't going to work. I just think the regular season is diminished, the value of the regular season, unless it's a, a must win game a big-time TV game or or a hyped game or playoff implications. But what do you think on that both?
0: Yeah, it's... I mean, I would disagree somewhat with what you're saying that they're trying to disagree with what you say they're doing, sorry, about ramping it up for the playoffs. They did that last season. It didn't. It, my whole thing was I picked the Clippers to be much better this year based on their last season. Depth chart, bench aside, I thought, shit, they got a wake-up call because resting Kawhi one game, poor George the next game, you know, we're just going to coast through the regular season, albeit it was in the in the bubble in Orlando, and then we're just going to roll in the playoffs winning championship. That bit him in the ass. Like, big time, right? So, I thought, shit, these guys are going to be like, okay, we can't do that again. We need to get some continuity. We need to play together. We need to get more minutes together. I haven't done it yet. And they still understand the, the, the side of um, load management and all that. But at the end of the day, they need to play more minutes together. They need to have big, big, big fuck-ups at times, make mistakes, learn from those mistakes, have a little locker room quabble, whatever it is. They need to do all that in the regular season. So it doesn't rear its ugly head again in the middle of the playoff series. And that's exactly what we saw last season. So I'm kind of, I'm just scratching my head at what's going on. It's just, to me, it looks so clunky. Nothing's flowing. There's no, if I look at the Clippers and I'm scouting them. Okay. Yeah. They go, oh, I so that's all I know about them. I don't know what they're, I don't think they even know. What's, what's your MO? What, are, what, are, what do we need to do to beat the Clippers? What do we, it changes game to game. And that's why sometimes they look like a championship team and they'll beat the best team in the league and then the next night they'll lose to the worst team in the league because I I don't think they know. It's just all over the place. Yeah, you know, Paul, George and Kawhi. We're going to isolate you guys a lot but beyond that, what are we doing? Who are we? What's our culture and identity? Are we a knuckle down, let's get four straight stops team? Are we a beat them on the board like we did last season with Harold, you know, second unit we're getting on the rim with Harold and, and Louis getting in the free throw line. I don't, I don't know where all that is with the Clippers.
1: Yeah. And I heard Ibaka. there's some, something going on with Abaka too, not being happy. Now, again, this could be false information, but you know, something about like, you know, they were going to demote him anyway or, or his minutes or what have you. They, I don't know if they were going to promote Zubac. and then something, I don't know if something happened or, or what have you. And, you know, there's a little bit of a quarrel with that. But now he's out for a while. So I don't, I don't know, but I like Zubach. Like I, I like Zubach in the lineup. Like I like Obaka uh, better coming off the bench to give you Same. more scoring. And, and yeah, Zubach gives you more energy. You know, he's not as good as a shot blocker, but he's more of an inside threat as far as like roller, you know, more active rebounding. And I think having Obaka to, to get you some more points off the bench would be good, but. Yeah, they're just not putting it together consistently. But then again, folks, who the fuck is? Like, you name me a team that, like, consistently is kicking out. I know, look, you know, obviously Brooklyn's been playing well, but, like, Utah, you know, Utah's been playing well, but, like, most of the teams, yeah, they win by 30, lose by 15, yeah. win by 20. It's just. I don't know what it is. I don't know what you blame it on. And players today, the competitiveness like that, like getting pissed. I don't I just don't think that like I don't think that just sticks the knife in them as much. And and really they expect it just like all right and the playoffs will be different. Well, how the fuck is it gonna be different? How are you approaching it different? You gotta change your world up a little bit. So I don't know. I, I have no idea what
0: some teams can do that though. We saw it with the Golden State Warriors. With yep. the Durant run, with a, after the first season of Durant, that second season, they coasted through, they, they were kind of just sleepwalking through the regular season, and then they, they could switch it on. They, they got three guys, they could potentially lead the league in scoring if they were all on different teams. Yeah. So, they could do that. The Clippers haven't proven they can do that yet. So, until you prove you can do it, it was like the old Warriors that won the first championship. We, we had to take every game of a regular season as serious as can be. Even the summer league, we took serious that year and the year before because we wanted to to really make a stamp, once you've done that, okay, you win a championship clippers. You can do what you're doing now. But yeah, I don't think you can do that without getting a championship. And like I said, my whole thought process was anyone within that organization, anyone outside of it with half a brain would think, shit, this is a bit in the ass, They're gonna they're gonna change it a little bit, but they haven't. So I mean, uh, hopefully I'm proven wrong and they make a finals, but I, I don't see it right now. Um, I mean, yeah, it is all over the place with all teams in the league. I think COVID hasn't helped that, guys kind of not being settled, all the testing um, they got to do. I don't know what they're at now, but at one point, it was two or three tests a day, um, all that kind of bullshit that to deal with That that that's It is taxing, um, mental fatigue, physical fatigue, so I understand that, but there's only a handful of teams that are consistent with their brand and what they do every night and- Maybe Utah are overblown because of it. Maybe Utah, because they have such a strong culture, everyone's roles are addressed. Everyone knows what they're doing. Maybe that's why they're doing so well because they're one of the few teams that's actually sticking to, 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 to their MO.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing that they got right now going for them is they're only a game and a half away from Phoenix, you know, the head of, the, the head of their division. And the Lakers are just plummeting games and they're, they're probably going to fall down. Now, the team that I'd worry about, you know, is Dallas coming up. But for the Clippers, like, yeah, they got to fucking, you yeah, know, they got to figure some things out here. You know, it's not like they're, I mean, they're in third right now and them in Denver, they're a game of pot. So it's pretty close. But like, yeah, they got to turn some things on and say, you know what, we're sick of this shit. Like, we got to be consistent. Championship teams it's different like I talked to Kevin McHale about the the 80s Celtics teams and he goes, look, we were so good, we would get bored a lot like 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 the like the Golden State Warriors, like you were talking about you, they were so good, you guys were so good you get bored sometimes and then like it, you might have a slow start for two and a half quarters and then you're like, all right fuck it, let's go and, and then put it away. like those great teams are like that, but the Clippers aren't a great team by any stretch of the imagination. you know they need to like get some consistency every night and say fuck it like this is what we're going to do tonight and then we're going to do this for the for the rest of the season this is what type of team we're going to be and then we got to you know we got to fucking buckle down we got to buckle down defensively We got to take better shots. We got to move the ball, and we got to we got to fucking you know turn it up and 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 step on the gas pedal with these teams. They got two dominating players, obviously. They got two really good players, and now they just got a hodgepodge of the rest of the guys. I like Morris. Like Morris gives you toughness, and like he's edgy. He's probably the closest thing to an eighties nineties player they got on their team. Yeah. Beverly's gonna be out for a while now, so it'll be interesting to see. I think Rondo is gonna help them. Like Rondo helped the Lakers last year, taking the ball out of LeBron's hand it's you know at points of the game to sort of navigate where the ball is not just so ball dominant and doesn't stop so i think that would help a little bit but it's just not rondo or one player it's got to be more of a collective you know it's like you know what enough of this shit we got to do something here because utah is a motherfucker especially if they let fans in that building yeah exactly yeah i don't fear phoenix all that much i do but i don't utah is a motherfucker You Utah is a motherfucker. They got guys who are just, they got a really good team and they got a good coach and they got a hostile fucking environment to play in. So, it'll be interesting. Lost one
0: game at home, I think, the whole year,
1: right? Yeah. And that was just recently
0: against Phoenix, I think, at home. Yeah, Yeah. I think they've they've lost one game and and that's with, what, yeah. 20% capacity I think they've got right now. So, they sell that place out, you know, or, or get, get to half capacity by next month or the month after. I mean, they, they have a, a good run, but we'll, we'll continue to watch how those, those uh, Clippers go. Did you see Charles Barkley's comments about uh, the Clippers, by the way?
1: No. What did, what did Charles
0: say? Oh, he said something along the lines of, um, I've been fat. I've been, I've been, you know, in the dumps. I've had blah, blah, blah. I've had this. I've had that. I've played bad. I've played good. And the one thing in common with all that was the Clippers always sucked. <laughs> so, so <laughs> it was a fair point. They just, they've never gotten over the hump. They've had a couple of good seasons. And Obviously, the Lob City was supposed to be their era. That didn't work out well besides highlights. They didn't really do much. So, it would be nice to see them be up there, but they've got a lot of work to do. Moving on, let's talk about the brutality of the NBA. So, the Marcus Cousins, um, I found this interesting reading it on Hoops Hype. Let me read this out. Um, He was most recently forced to sign a 10-day contract with the Los Angeles Clippers. Oh, there's our answer, actually, Pro. Cousins has gone to the Clippers, so that that could work well. Um, But (laughs) Cousins, an all-star just three seasons ago, and and an all-NBA second team of five seasons ago. Can't even get a contract right now without having to prove his worth first. That insanely fast turnaround for Cousins is actually historic, as it makes the 30-year-old big man the fastest player to go from an NBA All-Star to signing a 10-day contract in NBA history. That's quite the fall, and I guess it—it it, you, know, you feel a little bit for DeMarcus. I mean, whether you love him, hate him, whatever, how he acts, that's a whole separate conversation. He's had some horrendous injuries the last couple of seasons. Um, one one I was there for where he you know blew his quad up and then the Achilles and all that kind of stuff. So that's been harsh. That's part of what you have to deal with. But I mean, it just shows the brutality of the league. You can be you know within within three a three year period, you can be an arguable top ten player, which he was. He was putting up insane stats for New Orleans, even at Sacramento. To now basically having to have to try out just for a roster spot, pretty crazy, right?
1: Yeah, this is where, as NBA players, you got to get ready for everything. And I I talked about it before, uh, you know, earlier podcasts about the five stages every player has. And, you know, it's who's DeMarcus Cousins, keep an eye on DeMarcus Cousins, get me DeMarcus Cousins, get me a DeMarcus Cousins type, and who's DeMarcus Cousins. There are very few players that are unforgettable in this league. And as much as people want to, like, hype up every player – that it just goes like that now there's a few things that went against him uh, i don't care about how big of an asshole you can be or a you know supposed bad guy that you want to be teams are going to sign you you know as long as you, you know it doesn't go too extreme but the two injuries the achilles the knee and the workout in the summer you know that hurt him the devaluing of the post-up and the post-up player the big man it, it, it didn't help him and just bad timing And this is why NBA players have to get ready for everything. And I tell players, and you can't be too high. You can't be too low. You gotta, you gotta stay, you gotta stay grounded with this stuff because they celebrate you and you've been around it. You know, I've been around coaches that celebrated players because they were really good. And then once they lost a step, those coaches didn't want to work with that player anymore. People stopped, you know, people stopped sort of treating them like the God that they were. And it's just, it's an ugly part of the league that that's why you got to continue to stay prepared. You got to stay invested in it. You got to stay in great shape. You got to always work on your skill level because you never know when it's going to be floored against you. It's unfortunate, but that's just how it is in the league. And to be honest with you, Bogues, nobody gives a fuck. If they chew you out and <laughs> yeah. spit you out, Bogues, yeah. Yeah. nobody gives a fuck. For that for that beat writer that's been you know loving you for 10 years, they'll love somebody else. For the, you know, uh, you know, for the organization, for the coaches, they'll love somebody else. Your agent loves somebody else. It's just, that's the way it goes. And it's a ugly, brutal part of the business that nobody wants to talk about. You're going to get old. Players are going to get old. Players are going to get, you know, injured. They're going to get in trouble. They're going to get, you know, recruited over. And that's adversity. And everybody wants to tweet out about how they deal with adversity. And people are sensitive, and they don't want to admit they're sensitive. But that that shit—that shit—fucking turns on you quick in this league, and it just every player has to go through it at some point. You would have thought for him, he would have went through it when he's thirty-seven and not thirty. But that's just the league. That's what you got to face. But you've seen it with other people, like they treat you differently.
0: I mean, I've just seen it. I went through the same shit. Like it's there's there's no one that can put put a plan together or tell you how to handle it when you're in that moment, and no one. Not many athletes handle it the right way because it's it's hard. It's a harsh reality. So, no one's preparing you for it. It just happens one day. And for me, it was in Dallas. Yes. It was like we're on a team that was shitty. I was starting with Dirk. So, he had two slow fucking plotting, you know, <laughs> 30-something-year-olds in the starting lineup. And Rick came to me and said, you know, we're going to play you off the bench. So, I hadn't come off the bench in my career. And it was like, holy fuck. Like, like it was shocking you know and and not only that it was on a team that sucked so I was like what the hell man like so yeah I I, I I agree with that it's 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 a harsh reality but after being pissed for a week or two and and not being happy about it and getting in my feelings and maybe pouting a little bit I'm a, I'll be the first to admit that I then realize like yeah my, my career is winding down man like I'm slowing down I'm not playing as well as I once did I can't have the impact I once did thankfully I came back and signed in Australia and, and revamped my career a little bit in my early 30s and then went over to Golden State and actually contributed positively for them off the bench. But, man, it's, it's a thing that no one can prepare you for.
1: folks. how the fuck didn't you know things were going bad for you in Dallas? They had me work you out every day. <laughs> the- they had me work – I mean, come on. That's like the – literally, it was like the Goodyear blimp coming out and saying, "Folks, you're fucked. That's what <laughs> it was basically saying. But players sometimes don't. Ninety-nine percent of the time, they don't handle it well because they don't understand it. They dominated at every level. They dominated in the league. They dominated in college, high school, whatever, and they dominated the NBA for a while. And then they get scaled back. Not that they, this is the same thing, but like jo- that's why Jawan Howard lasted until he was like two years past is where he should have left the league because people want him around because he he sort of downshifted and understood it and said fuck it. I'm gonna re. I'm just gonna play the way they need me to play. I can't play the way I played when I was 26 anymore. Adonis has I don't think Adonis Haslem has played a fucking game oh, in man. seven years. No. But they keep having. Yeah, they keep having him around. Why? Because he he said, you know what? I get it. I'm over myself. I want to win. I want to make my 2.7. I could run for fucking mayor in Miami. And He's a locker you know, room Pat coach, Riley's going to take.
0: He's a locker room yeah. coach. There's a value in that.
1: No doubt. And it's just tough. It's a tough thing to do. And hopefully DeMarcus could sort of get a little, here's what the, he should do. He should, you know, if I was advising, I'd just say, look, just get ready for these games. Hopefully there'll be some blowoffs, there'll be some back-to-backs, so you get some minutes in. They're probably getting them just in case they got to play like Jokic in the playoffs and they need an extra body to bang some guys around. But put up some consistent minutes where some team might give them like You know, two years, ten million, one year guaranteed, and then he goes to a bad team and puts up numbers and maybe like get some get some rhythm going. But look, he's got no choice, and that's the problem with some of these players. They like they act like they have a fucking choice, and they're doing the team a favor by being there. No, 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 no. You you got picked up. That's not the way. Not a ten day. the way. I hope.
0: I mean, if that alarm hasn't rang yet on a ten day,
1: uh, yeah,
0: you're, you're not you're not you're in some trouble.
1: He's not that bad of a kid. And, you know, I know he's had some trouble before. I've dealt with kids like this my whole career. I love misfits like this. You just gotta, you gotta communicate with them, look them in the eye and say, look, this is what we need from you. And we're gonna fucking help you the best we can. But the second you go left, when we tell you to go right, you're fucking gone. But you could, we're gonna help you. You're gonna help us, but you gotta do this every day. I don't wanna fucking hear any stories. Don't get it twisted of why you're here. This is why you're here. And you need to you need to get with the program. He's been pretty good, I've heard, in the last couple of places he was at. He, he didn't have a lot of trouble, from what I've heard. Now, this could be wrong. It might not be. I've been around the kid. But like guys like that, teams fuck it up mostly because they're afraid of a guy like that. They don't want to talk to him. They, they do things without telling him. I think with NBA players, mostly, if you, if you communicate, look him in the eye, even if you're fucking him. Even if you're like, you know, they're not going to be happy with what you're saying, at least you're telling them and you're not doing some sneaky shit like they usually do and not fucking tell them. And that's, and that's when problems like really arise. You just got to be honest with a guy like that and tell him what the deal is.
0: We'll see how that goes. But that's, that's the brutality of the league. Some useful stats uh, we talk about, always talk about some stats just being absolutely ludicrous, like so many just weird caveats in a, in a, in a stat to make it newsworthy. But this was one that I thought was good. Nikola Jokic this season 26.3 points, 10.9 rebounds, 8.8 assists per game at 57% field goal percentage. Now only Russell Westbrook and Oscar Robinson have averaged 25, 10, and 8 in a season. Jokic will be the first one to do it on a 55% shooting clip, which is amazing. I mean, he's he's having a he's having one of the most historic seasons in NBA history. I don't think he's getting as much attention or love as, as as he should because he's not a he doesn't seem to be that Instagram hype guy that, you know, he just goes about his business, plays hard, doesn't look great doing it at times, looks as we've spoken about. Sometimes he looks like you know, he's just plodding around and then he just throws in a hook and, and that's the amazing thing about Nikola Jokic. His IQs at an all-time level. His touch and feel is at an all-time level but, I mean, do you think his, his season, I wouldn't say underappreciated because it's not, but it's definitely not. If that or was lebron james averaging those numbers jesus christ he'd be the president of the u.s oh life. no yeah would you agree
1: no doubt about it yeah he, look he's not a sexy player to look at as far as his game like it's like he brutalizes you down low any hook he throws up is probably 80 per- now don't fuck with me with those with the analytics you ask you know or with our followers but like any hook he throws in it's probably going to be an 85 percent chance it's going in and like He's a he could score, he back to the basket, brutalize you, he could face you up. He's an unbelievable passer. Probably the top five or six passers I've ever seen. Anytime you try to double, he'll pass it out, he'll face you up and drive you. Look, his body was the biggest problem that he had coming in the league. And he's he's really helped himself with that. He, his body is much better. But the numbers he's putting up, 57% from the field, 86% from the line, 42 from the three. He's ridiculous and he's unbelievable to watch. He's one of my favorite players to watch just because of the passing. Anytime a player's great and you throw on passing with that, it's, it just makes him that much harder to stop. And yeah, he's, he's phenomenal to watch and he doesn't get enough press. You know, I think the European thing sometimes and then he's not flashy. He's not. He's not any of that. He's in
0: Denver, yeah, not a big, not a huge market by any means, and he's just somewhat quietly just putting up one of the one of the craziest stat lines we've seen in the modern era. And I think he's a shoe in for MVP. I think even if he, God forbid, gets hurt or doesn't play the rest of the season, you, you can't pass him up for MVP in my opinion. And, and betting agents and whatnot you know, have have obliged and agreed. So that'll be interesting to watch. You brought to my attention some Draymond Green comments, which actually coincide with what we spoke about earlier. I'll read these comments out really quickly. There's more talent around the league than there's ever been. From a talent standpoint, the league is in a good space. But as, a pure, but as pure basketball lovers who love competition at the highest level, I think they got to catch up in that department. They are soft as hell. I found myself trying to talk shit to some of these young dudes that won't talk and they're like trying to be a friend. That's what these young dudes do nowadays. I don't understand it. So that would go with what you. That was Dream on Green, of course, when asked about. Competitiveness of today's players, basically saying they're more skilled and talented, but they don't have that bite, they don't have that dog in them. And, and look, you've, I've kind of seen that towards probably the mid to end point of my career. Nothing would irk me more when when guys would be friendly before games. You know, I hated it like two hours before tip off, no problem. But when you're walking out on the court, jump ball, ready to go to battle, um, I've seen it in, my, in NBA teams of mine. that might be a boy, hey man, what's up? Oh yeah, joking around, pulling each other's shorts, and I'm just like, man, like we're supposed to go to battle with you. And then I also saw it sort of with my national team where with the Australian national team at times, we play against the US and some of these bigger countries and guys will be idolizing who they're playing against and you've already lost the battle in my opinion there but I assume you'd agree with with Draymond's sentiment there.
1: Yeah, I do agree. Uh, the competitive nature like that is, you know, in some players it's just they're they're sort of wired towards it, you know, they're wired to be competitive. The older players, of course, you know, the LeBron Jameses and the Steph Currys and the James Harden and, and, and Jimmy Butler and guys like that, like… They didn't really grow up much into the social media world and, and sort of what they, what these young guys have been growing up in and the traveling, the AU, they play against each other so much. Everything's buddy, buddy, you know, the competitive nature and and things like that. Young guys like Luka Doncic, right? He's big into like being friends with everybody, but he's sort of wired to be a killer and competitive. So like he's a little different, but most of these players are not like that. They're just, they're not competitive like that. They're not. They're not killers like that. And it's just sort of what they grew up in. Like the Larry Bird's, the Michael Jordan's, they didn't have any of that. They didn't grow up with it. You know, and, and that's why when you talk about a lot of the older players, players that played before talking about the young players, that's big. But they, you know, all these players grew up with social media. They grew up with it now, coming okay? I mean, into the league. And I think they're just different. They're, they're, they are they're they softer and, and, and a little bit more friendly to that effect. And I don't know if it's a good thing, bad thing and different. I don't like it. But that's just that's just sort of regardless if we like it or not, it's here and you got to be able to deal with it. And it's different. It's definitely different. And it's hard. That's why it's hard to get enforcers. Like how many enforcers do you know in the NBA books that like, you know, those tough guys, those Charles Oakley type players, Bill Lambert type players. Now, you don't have either one of those in the league, but you've got what, like maybe 10 out of 450. You don't have that tough Guy that hates everybody, not hate everybody, but you know what has has an edge. There's not many of them left in the league.
0: Oh no, no, of course there isn't, and it's not. It is hate everybody. Like there were there were numerous guys back in the day that you knew they weren't going to eat or drink with anyone on opposing teams like even if they were like grew up together or whatnot they do that shit in the offseason and that was kind of the difference that's changed a lot these days whether it's good or bad is is arguable but i mean i don't, I don't think it's changed that much because i do remember jeff van gundy once called michael jordan the ultimate con man i'm sure you would remember those those comments it was mentioned yeah. in the last dance and what he was referring to was exactly what we're talking about where michael jordan would he wasn't doing it being friendly with guys, to be friendly with guys because he wouldn't hang out with anybody but he would see a guy at a restaurant the night before a game or he'd he'd see guys pre-game and, and he'd laugh and joke and talk shit and make them feel good about themselves and then drop 50 on their head. That was more, you know, Sun Tzu the Art of War type shit, right? So, he, there was a little bit of that if you kind of compare eras but he was doing it, I firmly believe, from a strategic point of view where I'm going to like, you know, make them feel all good about themselves and the best player in the world I let their guard down, think they're my boy and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop 50 on their head and get out of that arena Whereas today, there's definitely a noticeable difference about guys, you know, being friends with each other and guys not wanting to get into into those battles. And, and we talk about Westbrook and the criticism he receives, and that's why I love Westbrook. Like, okay, yeah, at times he can be polarizing. At times he's he's you know can take bad shots, whatever. That's a whole separate argument. But he's going to try to bite your head off no matter who you are. We saw it with Kevin Durant when he was with the Warriors. We saw it with former teammates of his. He didn't give a shit who you were if you didn't have the same color jersey on as him. He's trying to kill you. And I think that's what. Fans love to see, especially if you're paying 150 $200 of your hard-earned money to go and watch this game and you got guys, you know, lollygagging, quote-unquote, the American terminology of just being friends and laughing and joking. It's like, why am I paying for this shit? Like, you're not putting everything into it. I'm putting everything into my money to come to this game. I'm working, you know, nine or five hard shifts, whatever I'm doing, to spend some money and go once, a, once every couple of weeks because I can afford to do that. We might tune out.
1: I think there's a lot more going on in the NBA now than there was before. So, before those, you know, those guys didn't see everybody. They didn't see a lot of it. You know, you can't contact people as much. You didn't have cell phones. You didn't have that, you know, especially in that earlier era. And I just think players are wired differently today. And it's just one of those things that you got to deal with. And look, do you want to see the brutality of the 80s? Probably not the brutality of it. No, more like you probably want to see it more like in the late, early to late, you know, mid to late 90s that you want to see that today where guys were chippy. They were competitive. They didn't, uh, they, everybody didn't love everybody. But yeah, it, but it's here. And that's what we got to deal with. And it's a little different. And, you know, I worry about the future of it because you know, there aren't going to be many people wired like uh, Luka Doncic that's competitive like that, that is a nice kid and all that. But like, he's a little bit like Jordan like that too, where like, he's buddy, buddy, but he wants to destroy it. You know, I was around MJ a lot, especially in the early 2000s. And you could tell he's like that, even after he's playing, you could tell that he wanted to be buddy buddies with guys, they sort of feel like a certain, he did it with Antoine Walker, he would like, we, i remember we were playing him in mean, an exhibition game or during the season and i and i was out of my hotel room i couldn't sleep i went down to the casino we, it was like a, one of those casino games and here's fucking you know mj and antoine walker gambling till about 3 30 in the morning buddy 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 and then fucking he would just bust his ass to like 30 and it's just that's how he was and yeah it's interesting i understand where he's coming from for sure And um, there's definitely some, you know, it's it's a valid statement. It is. You don't get it like you did before. Players are definitely different.
0: Agree, and that's just something we're just going to deal with in the new era. But last thing we're going to touch on in our long form, college. So you sent me some notes about the transfer portal. I'm I'm trying to get my head around this, and I'm wondering if you added an extra zero on this, um, or you've you've fucked up your numbers. But the transfer portal now, anyone can put their name in the transfer portal in the college Division one system. I assume Division two as well, but we're just talking D1. There's over 1,900 names on the list. Is that right?
1: Yes, 1,900. I checked it. What? So, okay, so I've done some
0: quick math with the calculator. There's 351 Division One schools. So I've times that by 12. That gives us 4,212 players in Division One college basketball. You're telling me almost half of college players right now are wanting to transfer.
1: Yeah, 13 scholarships each team. Yeah, they get 13 scholarships. So it's like 4,500 or something like that total or scholarships.
0: Third, just over a third. That, that's insane. Yeah. Yeah. What is going on?
1: So, folks, here's here's what, go, what goes on now. The NCAA, it used to be when you transfer um, when you transfer schools, it used to be you had to sit out a year. You know, it, it doesn't matter if your coach got fired; didn't matter whatever. If you're playing, not playing, if you want to transfer, it's a year. If you want to transfer in league, it was it was two years. So, if you want to transfer to a school in your league, in the last couple of years, they made this rule where you could when you transfer, you get automatic eligibility. There's two ways to get automatic eligibility. You could transfer one time in your four years, uh, your four years of eligibility, and you could be eligible right away the next year. The second thing is if you graduate in four years and you only played three in your first four, if you redshirted or what have you, you could transfer to another school to do a fifth year automatic eligibility. You can go to another school. You just have to go to another school that doesn't have your major. So that's how you get around it. So, what they're dealing with now, Bogues, is this. It's this typical fucking shit that kids get due today. And, I look, there are certain situations where I could see this happening. But we'll talk about that in a second. But, like, what they're dealing with now is if a player doesn't play right away as a freshman, there's no more, like, easing into a player's career where, all right, son, you're not going to play that much as a freshman. And as a sophomore, you'll play, like, Considerable more minutes, and then junior senior year, you're, you're going to be our starter and our go-to guy. If you don't play a guy at a high or any level, if you don't play somebody their freshman year, they're gone. Okay. If you're at a smaller school and you have a guy that averages like 11 a game as a freshman, he's gone. He's transferred. He's gone. He's going to a higher level school. So it's really hot, And it's like NBA free agency. All my friends that are assistant coaches, they check that thing like the waiver wire in July in the NBA season and the offseason. And they work that transfer portal. So you get players who if you like there's no more easing into it. So right away, if there's not instant gratification, they're gone. And then if they if you do well, if they do well at your school, they're gone. If they don't enter the NBA, they're gonna they're gonna transfer to another school. And they can they get instant eligibility.
0: Yeah, I mean there's just there has to be penalties for for that kind of stuff. Look, every now and then you get a player that um just doesn't fit in with a squad or a coach is, is a dick to him or he's been over-recruited. Okay, fair enough. They should be able to transfer, but they it sit out of here. So there were repercussions to your decision. I think it's it's as we see with most things, I think it's swayed too far in the player's favor. You can't you know, you're going going into a school and, and things don't go your way. You've got a bit of adversity. You've got a senior or a, or a junior who's who's playing ahead of you, and most times, rightfully so, he could be a school legend. He could be a guy that's, that's doing all the right things, showing up early, staying late. And just because you've got a name as a high school American doesn't mean shit. And then a coach plays you 14 minutes a game because of it. Oh, he's hating on me on a transfer. That's that's just the easy way out. I just don't think that's good for the long term development of a lot of kids. And I think the NCAA. As much as we knock them, they need to look at this and and, and tweak that back to, you can transfer, but you, you got to give something up if you're transferring. You can't just go into a free pool and and walk away.
1: Here's my thing. If a, if a coach got fired or he quit and went somewhere else, I think you should be able to transfer right away. Like You went to the school for them. And so, I get it. If they leave, I can see them leaving. That's
0: fair. I agree with that.
1: Yeah, so, but if it doesn't go your way, look, you made a commitment to that school. And if it doesn't go your way, sure, you could transfer, but it's going to take you a year. You get five, four, five years to play four anyway, so you're going to lose that year and transfer. But, like, if it doesn't go your way or you did really well and you want to go to another school, no, fuck that. Like, like I know, you know, you hear a lot of, you know, chirping online and on social media about, all, oh, you know, the NCAA, they're, you know, they're raping and pillaging these kids, you know, their careers and they don't care about them. You know, players gotta be able to go. Coaches make all this money. I get it. If a coach, coach has a freedom to leave, the player should have a freedom to leave if the coach leaves. But if it doesn't go their way, and this is why players fail at all levels. It used to be Bogues, like I coached AU at a high level when I was like 18, 19 years old. We won like three national two. We won Vegas, which was the biggest tournament in the country, like three years out of four, or two years out of three, I forgot. And what ha- ends up happening is like the good players, the really good players would play AU. The players that were, weren't were as good play, went to camp and developed during the summer, played in summer leagues, and they didn't, they didn't play in the summer but what happened now the parents finally figured it out well johnny couldn't make an au team or they got cut from an au team when they didn't play they start their own team this is what happens in this country kids change schools 3 times in high school they change 5 au teams in 4 years they they switch schools 3 times And that's like when you look at a player and when you got him in the NBA and you saw that he had two, three high schools, two colleges, a juco, you know, like they had all this change. That tells you something. Either they fucking they're an asshole and something's happening behind the scenes or they can't take adversity. Everybody likes to tweet all this shit about adversity, adversity, oh, you know, I'm a strong man and they quote all this bu- these bullshit philosophers, but they, when they get punched in the face realistically, they just go to another team that's going to, like, give them what they want. And look, I get it. Like, the, you know, you want better for your career, but you also... Uh, should be a person of your word you gave the school your word and you're gonna you jump ship because you average 12 a game as a freshman and they think that like if they don't go to Kentucky Kansas North Carolina or Duke no one's gonna see you it's a lot better and uh, most of these guys who transfer boats and they transfer up m- m- I'd say about 85 percent of them they don't do shit when they get there they they just want to go for the bigger school and they end up getting you know their numbers take uh, takes a hit their pro prospects take a hit I'd rather go to a smaller school, dominate, be a three-year player of the year in the conference, or a three-year All-Conference and a one-year, one-time player of the year, and lead them to a couple of times in a in a tournament, you know, to the NCAA tournament. Scouts are going to see that. They're going to see the numbers. You, you, they're going to see that you were the guy for four years or three years or however long you were there, and that you battled through adversity. If you were somebody who didn't play a lot as a freshman but battled through it, that's going to teach you those lessons of being competitive. To be you know to try to take your game to the next level when that shit doesn't go your way all the time and this is our problem in society when it doesn't go your way i can go to another team and that's i i just think it's wrong
0: yeah i spoke to ray giacoletti i'm not sure if you're familiar with that name but he was he was my coach at the university of utah my sophomore year a long time college coach 30 40 years in the game as both an assistant he was a head coach to mark few for many years at gonzaga so he had the exact same sentiment i, I touched touch with, with him on my journey part and He finished that with the same. It's just too easy to quit these days. And look, most coaches aren't going to give up a scholarship to a guy that they just want to hate on. That's not realistic. The scholarships these days are like gold because you, you you mess around too much. You know you can lose a scholarship here and there. You recruit the wrong guy. Now, all of a sudden, you got to play your backup, That you, a guy you thought was going to be a backup because that other guy is no good. No coach wants to recruit a guy and not play him. Every now and then, a minority, yeah, of course, there's some, some sometimes guys just get screwed. They might get over-recruited. I had a teammate of mine that went to Baylor back when they were sanctioned, Aaron Bruce, and, and, and he signed there <laughs> when they went through all that bullshit where that guy killed himself or got shot yep. or whatever happened. So, he went there regardless. He stuck with them and said, look, I know know there's issues. I'm going to stay. I I gave you my commitment. I'm going to come there. And he led all freshmen in scoring um, in the Big 12. And in the nation, playing in the Big 12, he led all freshmen in scoring. And he averaged 19 a game. And by his – he was a point guard slash two guard by his – I think his third or fourth year, he got so over-recruited once those sanctions eased that he was then the third four string guard and he was potentially on NBA radars as a second round pick and he got screwed and he, he probably had a had a legitimate gripe to transfer but those cases are rare the other side of the coin is like you said it's like oh I'm, you know I should be playing more than that guy well put the work in like no coach is not going to want to play you if you're doing the right thing like that I don't buy that yeah, well, okay, one out of a million times you have a college coach, a high school coach where their son's playing for their team and there might be a bit of politics but that's very, very rare. But no coach is going to want to recruit you, give you a scholarship, waste the money on you, housing, all that, their budget goes towards you and then be like, oh, I don't, I don't want to play you because I don't like you. That's just nonsensical. So, I, I agree. I think it's a, it's 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 easy to just quit and move on and, and it factors in with, you know, devices and I'm guilty of being on my phone too much. It f- f- factored in with like the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Oh, this isn't good. I'm going to do something else. And that at a young age then correlates to, you know, what we're seeing with college basketball. It's like, you know, I don't want to put the 3 months effort into to try and play. I'm just going to go somewhere else where I can play. Well, life doesn't work like that and I hope the NCAA somehow addresses this. 1,900 out of… Four thousand five hundred players should not be on a transfer portal. A fair number would be maybe five hundred. You know, you get a you know one eighth, one tenth. You know, maybe, but nineteen hundred—that that—that's an alarming number. By the way, I have the the Lakers Brooklyn game on in the background as we spoke about the Clippers earlier on. What the hell's going on there? They're not beating the bad teams. Well. The Lakers without LeBron and AD are up 107 to 83 right now in Brooklyn with um, KD and Kyrie and pretty much everyone playing but James. So, that's, uh, that's quite a loss. But we'll move on to fact and fake news. What do you have for us?
1: All right, folks. Schroeder. According to ESPN Brian Windhorst, who spoke to the situation on his most recent Hoop Collective podcast, the Lakers offered Schroeder a max extension a month ago and he turned it down. The most that Schroeder can extend for under his current contract is four years, $84 million. Um, good move, fact, or fake news?
0: Fake news. He didn't make a good decision. That's, that's a fantastic contract for Schroeder. Um, I don't think he's a, a max starting point guard um, on the Lakers. I mean, I think he's helped them a lot. I think if he's running your team, say you're a, well, I don't know who are you, Detroit and you throw eighty four million for him to be that guy, I wouldn't I wouldn't throw that money at him to be that guy. So um he did not make a good decision in my opinion. I think he should have taken that money, probably won a championship or two along the way and, and had a very good career. You?
1: Yeah, I, I agree. not a not a good decision. Fake news. Um, look y- you know Dallas has money. I, I I haven't studied the cap numbers, but I know Dallas has about thirty million, and they're not looking to give it to him right now, unless you know a bunch of things probably don't fall their way. I've seen crazy things happen in free agency. It's probably sometimes in best you know in the pro- agents probably saying the best situation is to wait and, and wait and wait and wait until like something falls through, but. For eighty four million to be in LA, you know that team's going to be pretty good for a little bit, for at least two more years anyway, until they try to sign somebody else. To say no to eighty four million bucks—that's twenty one million a
0: year in LA. Yeah. Do you know what he could get if he's on the open market? Is it just an extra year?
1: I thought you can do five
0: with your own team, right?
1: With your current team, so they traded for him. So I assume—I think
0: you're right. So that that, that, I then go to say he's not getting—he's not getting more from anyone else, really.
1: I don't think so. Like I said, Dallas has a lot of money and they're trying to put a third, you know, a third player with, you know, Porzingis and Luca. And I'm sure they're going to be going after players, although there's a lot of players that came off the board that signed extensions and things this summer, but they're going to be hunting, you know, and Schroeder's a good name, but, and he could score and things. I just don't see, unless it's like a short-term deal, like if I'm Dallas and I strike out on some guys. I'd be like, all right, maybe I'd give him two years, 40 and, you know, partial guarantee the second or fully guarantee the second, but I'm not really looking to give him a hundred plus million. He wouldn't be my A list. He probably wouldn't even be my, he'd be borderline B list on my free agent, you know, especially if I have big money. I mean, that's a lot of chunk of your cap to spend on Schroeder, who's a good, point. he's a good guy. Don't get me wrong. He can score. He can do some things, but 84 million to be in LA to play with LeBron, not, you don't have to like be the guy every night and carry the mail every night. That's, that's a tough one. I, yeah, I think it's a tough situation. I think it's a wrong situation, but I think that they could extend him down the road. Like, you know, it's probably not over. They could probably come back to this contract if they want to. They can't really do much with their cap stuff with all, with, you know, LeBron's contract and AD's contract. And, you know, they, they extended Kuzma. So there's not a lot they can do. But yeah, uh, that, that was a little weird to me, turning down $84 million. Yep. Bogues, Russell Westbrook, numbers 21.8, 10.6 rebounds, 10.7 assists. With these numbers, should he be considered an MVP candidate despite Washington's record?
0: I'm going to go fake news. Um, I think if he was, if Washington were somewhere, you know, in the mix, a little bit higher, you know, I'd say five to eight, five to nine, I'd I'd consider the 13th as we speak. So, I think the record plays a little bit of a a par for me. But insane numbers can't take away. With what he's done and goes into our conversation um, last week about you know, should should a championship define a player that's as, you know, like a Russell Westbrook with the numbers that he's had. But I, I still value winning a little bit. I think if you're putting up those eye-popping numbers, you should still move the needle a little bit more in the win column. Um not saying you should be first, second or third in the East, but they should be at least in the hunt for a playoff. And they technically still are because the East is so bad. There's a massive drop-off, but I think the record needs to be better. So, I'm going to go fake news.
1: Yeah, I go fake news too. You know, I hate agreeing with you all the time, but yeah, they're 16 and a half out they're three out from the 10 spot and for the playing stuff you know they're seven out obviously they're not they, you know they've only got about 21 games left so they're not really they're not really going to make a a run for like out of the playing situation so they're a playing team I agree like those numbers are uh, great numbers don't get me wrong but like, I feel as though the MVP, you you got to be in the, you got to be, in my opinion, in the top two or three in your conference, you know, to really be, you know, consider an MVP. I think if you're putting up huge numbers in your teams, like nine, 10, 11, 12, I just don't think that, I think there's, you know, unless you're putting up like 60 and 30, you know, and, and Will Chamberlain's not here anymore to do that. So, you know, guys like that, then you you maybe say, okay, but Obviously, what's, what's talking, you know, reality. Those numbers are great numbers, but uh, you just can't. I just can't turn the corner and give somebody who's 19 and 30, 19 and 32, you know, 16 and a half games out of the playoffs, uh, out of the uh, one spot. I, I can't and probably going to lose in the play-in. I can't give them an MVP Not All NBA, sure. You know, you could give them, you give, you probably think about it, but uh, not, definitely not MVP. Great. Vogue's. I'm gonna give you a little another hypothetical. You got Michael Porter Jr. Okay, I'm gonna give you his numbers. Putting up seventeen seven point six rebounds, one assist, shooting forty four from the three. Is he your most improved player from this season? Uh, For for this season for the NBA?
0: Fake news. I think he's ah
1: fuck. Me too. Go ahead. What do you got? (laughs)
0: I have it. I'm, I'm looking at the, the – I have to look up who else is in the running, but, I mean, Julius Randall's number one. Um, he's the favourite by the bookies. I'll give you the top three. It's Julius Randall one, Jeremy Grant two, Christian Wood three. I think Julius Randall's had a phenomenal season out of kind of – Ups and downs, injured early in his career. I think he's more than deserved of it. I think Michael Porter Jr. has had a fantastic year when looking at his past couple of seasons. And and that's mainly because he's just getting consistent minutes. He's actually healthy. He's he's in the rotation. Um, he had a phenomenal year, not taking anything away from Michael Porter Jr. But fake news, um, I'm giving it to Julius Randle.
1: You know, you got too many fucking social media followers from Vegas keep pumping you with good information, man. Because I, I'm going with Google. the same thing.
0: It was a quick Google.
1: Quick Google, okay. Uh, I can't spell Google, so yeah, I go with Julius Randall too. Like I always liked Randall. I thought he was sort of like a Zach randolph You know, probably could be a little bit. I didn't think he had the killer instinct that Zach had, but he had a little bit more like juice, athletic ability, and things. And you know, he's had a good career, not a great one. You know, up to this point, he's sort of a, like a vigilante because you know he's gone from like you know a couple of different situation team wise, and. um never really won and I figured he'd have to be the best team, best player on their team this year and he is and he's putting up huge numbers and they're winning and they're playing through them and, and they're winning. They're not like, they're not dynasty winning but right now they're a game under 500. No one expected them to even be close to this and he's putting them in situations to win and he's getting them better and they're playing through them in so many different situations. Handling the ball, posting up, pick and pop, pick and roll, and he, he's had such an impact in their winning. And that's that's the thing, like if young players at all levels, there's a difference between putting up 22 points a game and losing and being like, you know, putting up 30 a game and losing, but putting up 22, not only putting up great numbers in winning or, or close to winning and taking a team to a higher level than they've been in, in a few years – my hat's off to him, man. I think, I think, I think he's a shoe in to the win, the, um, the most improved player.
0: And the big thing for me, he's shooting 40% from three and not just one a game. He's shot 255 three-point. He's had 255 three-point attempts, made 104 of them for 40%. That is huge for his game because I was with him in LA and that, that was a one knock on him. He just can't shoot the ball well enough. We need to play him at, at the five. He's an undersized five at stretches. We're, 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 he's positionless, right? not anymore. He's knocking that three down and he's taken some tough ones. I've watched a few of their games over the last month. Off the dribble, pull-ups, hand in his face. These aren't just feet set, wide open, dare shots. He's, he's uh, shooting that ball at a phenomenal clip and that has just oh, it's done wonders for his game. And, and, and Thibbs, as we know, is going to play him 40 minutes. He's going to let him play through mistakes, ups and downs, and he's taken that with two hands and I couldn't be happier for him. He, he gets a bad rap at times, but he was a fantastic teammate. You could see he wanted to be great. He was in LA with me when they, they didn't know what the hell they were doing. They were banking for that LeBron. So, it was like kind of a, a, a buy year essentially. They were just loading up to, to get enough assets to make sure they could get LeBron. So, he was caught up in that and that's why he was moved around, you know, to an extent because he was just caught up in the ramifications of, of the LeBron sweepstakes. So, you felt bad for him. He got labeled with this unfair label in my opinion and I could not be happier for him. So, he's he's definitely my most improved player.
1: And he's playing for a coach. He's like a Bill Belichick without the rings, right? Like he organ. any team that Thibodeau goes to is going to organize the team. He knows what it takes to win and will play winning basketball, especially in the defense event, and to be able to take his game and say, look, I know you put up numbers before, but this is how you have to play to be a winning player. And this is what wins in this league. There's nobody who knows winning more than that guy as far as like what it takes to, to get a team ready to compete. And this is what he did. And he changed the makeup of that team. Like you said, they're like New York for the last decade has done the same thing. They fucked everything up. They expect like these big time players just to sign in free agency. They want this cap room, which cap room is the most overrated fucking thing you could ever have for an organization, because it ain't gonna. If you don't win, if you're not a winning team or in a great city, like no one's even gonna consider you're gonna get these B and C level guys and have to way overpay them. So what they've done is it changed the makeup of the team. You got RJ Barrett, who is a really good young player. You've got Julius now. So those two guys are the cornerstones. Obi Toppin's really struggling right now, you know, top pick there is of last draft. And that, you know, people are sort of throwing the bust word around for him. Now I won't say that because it's only his first year, you know, and he's got time and he had a little bit of injury issue. But like Randall single-handedly changed the makeup of that team because now these two guys they could build around Randall and Barrett. You know, you know they're gonna get free agents with you know Leon Rose. You know, World Wide West in, in the mix, they're going to get guys, but now you've got a good coach, a high level coach. You've got two young players you could build around. You've got little pieces like uh, Mitchell Robinson, who's a very good roller, you know, good defensive player, guy who puts up eight and eight. You got like guys coming off the bench, but like now they're building and they're going to have picks and they're going to have money and they're going to have money to spend and new york's a destination but they're going to have to win and i think they're proven right now they're 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 not done yet i mean it's still 20 plus games to play but now you're, you're putting yourself in a position where free agents are going to you know they're not going to get the high level guy this summer or maybe even the next summer but right now if you keep doing it the way they're doing it with a great coach and good young players And, and they're developing like Emmanuel quickly. It was a guy that people thought that they drafted him a little too high from Kentucky. He's a a big surprise averaging 12. Alec Burks, 12 points a game. Nerolan's Noel, one of the best backup centers in the league. So they're, they're putting together things and Julius Randle is, is a big part of that for sure.
0: No doubt. I'm looking forward to seeing the Knicks make the playoffs for once and and battle deep. But we'll move on to to Q&A to touch on what we just spoke about not long ago, actually. Hey, Bogues and Pro, love the podcast and all the topics you touch on. Can you speak about your experience in LA and how you felt at the time when they traded you? I remember you said something about Magic Johnson's handling of your trade and that it was unprofessional. I'm a huge Lakers fan because of Kobe and was disappointed at the time to know that they treated you poorly. Also, I love Tasmania is introducing a new team in the NBL. However, do you believe the league will continue to grow and introduce new teams? I'd love for the Crocs to return to Townsville. Thanks. That's from Matt from Spotterswood in Townsville. Um, first off, you be NBL question, look, I think they need to continue to keep looking at different markets, but you just want to be careful that you're not putting teams in just to put teams in as we saw in the past and they last three or four years. Go bankrupt, go under. That's never a good thing so we'll watch that space but my time in LA look it, I wasn't traded first and foremost it was just a tough time in my life I just had a child in 2016 in Dallas and then went on from Dallas broke my leg in Cleveland rehabbed that in the off season. the Lakers called had a spot and they said look we'll bring you in on the vet minimum and um, the discussion I had with my agent was look I don't, I don't want to go on a non-guarantee just because I've got a young kid um, I don't want to move to LA and then, and then something happens and we went back and forth to the Lakers they wouldn't guarantee it but they gave me my word and said look we want the Non guarantee because of your injury history, and if you you know you come in and you and you you know mid season you get hurt and you're out, we want to be able to wave you. We want that flexibility. And I said, look, that's fair enough, but just know I'm coming in with off a broken leg, so I still need to get healthy. And they're like, we're not worried about preseason and the first you know the first month or so, but once you're back on the court, we want you back on the court. So I got over there and and um, had a bit of issues with my back just coming back from from a broken leg, so a bit of back spasms, just your normal stuff. And I finally, you know, started to get healthy, you know, November, December was fine and um, everything was going well and there was a call uh, Rob Palinka made to my uh, agent. He said, oh, I want to catch up with Bogues and see how the team's doing. So, we caught up, I think, before a game at Staples and and Rob was just kind of, you know, you're the veteran in the locker room, how do you see our guys, what's going on? You know, we're in a, a bit of a losing streak at that point. So, just gave him some honest feedback about myself and the guys and, and what's going on culturally. And he appreciated that. And I thought all was good. And then later on that night, um, my agent calls me and says, oh, the deadline's the deadlines tomorrow for non-guaranteed contracts then becoming guaranteed. And they've said, yeah, you know, you're all good, this, that, this, that. And then literally 30 minutes later in the car, my agent calls me back and says, oh, uh, Magic and um, Rob wants to speak to, you, speak to you in the morning on a conference call. So, I was like, yeah, I'm getting waved." then. I was no, 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 no. You know, Rob told me you're good, this, that, and I was like, "Nah." If Magic's getting on the call, I barely spoke to him all year. Like something's going on. So, holds me own. Made the made the phone call, the group chat, and the, the next morning, and they just, you know, they said, "Look, we're not doing too well this year. We're not going to make the playoffs. We're going to waive you." So that's how that went down. And look, I wasn't too shocked by it, um, but. I just felt like I was kind of sold a lemon to an extent because I wouldn't have went over um, knowing those were the circumstances. If I was hurt at the time, I wouldn't have had any issues. But I was basically, you know, I was lied to, and that's just the reality of the business. They that they were doing what was best for them. They were in tank mode at that point. LeBron came the season after, and I just got caught in the repercussions of all that. and And the hard thing was, like I said, I moved my my wife and my my child was over there. My wife was heavily pregnant with our second. So, I was more worried about my off-the-court stuff than I was on and that's why it just disrupted our life a little bit and then ended up, you know, coming back to Australia for my grandfather's funeral to cut a long story short and then didn't, didn't fly back to sign with a, um, a team that was making a playoff push in the buyout period because of everything that was going on so the rest is history but yeah look i'm over it now obviously but in the moment more so thinking about my wife and kids and and the absolute shit show that it caused with with moving out of a house and living in la and all that kind of stuff was um it left a little bit of a bit of taste in my mouth but that's that's the business right bro
1: yeah i mean look we talked about it in the last couple of podcasts it, the team has to do what's best for the team and they're gonna lie to you You know, teams are going to lie. I don't care what organization you're talking about. They don't lie all the time, but they're going to lie in situations like this. And they're not, you know, they want to keep everybody motivated to continue to push their team as best they can. And that's why they're not going to tell you things like this in advance. They're going to do it the last minute. They're going to be a little dirty about it. And that's what happens. Same thing with players though. Players will do the same thing in free agency and things like that and keeping the teams on the hook for a while and then doing what's best for them. You got to understand that, like, look, there's a difference when you're a fan and expect like everything to be like, like, a you know, magic, like everything's like players love each other. They love the team. Team loves the players. No one's lying to each other. Everybody can trust each other. It just doesn't work that way. Both sides have to do what's best for them. You know, and then you throw an agent in there who's trying to do the best, you know, for the for their client and all that. Like there's a lot of lying that goes on. It just is what it is. It's not, I'm not I'm not breaking who killed JFK here. Everybody, you know, this isn't like world news. Everyone sort of knows it that's inside of it. If you're not inside of it, you think, ah, oh, that fucking da-da-da. You know, they lied to him. It's the first time they ever did that. That's bullshit. No, no, no. They do that. They have to. It's just, it's a dirty part of the business. I've seen it. I've seen it. You know, I've heard millions of stories about GM saying, oh, no, you're our guy. Don't worry about it. Boom, 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 boom. And then they they get traded a fucking hour later. Like, it just happens. And players do the same thing. Oh, no, I got you. July 1, midnight, we're going to sign with you guys. And then you can't get them on the fucking phone for four hours. And Woj we'll is breaking that they're signing with the Milwaukee Bucks for, you know, four years, 30 million. Like, it happens. It just it just the shit that happens yeah, DeAndre in the Jordan, and-
0: right? With Dallas.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh shit. It was fucking <laughs> Yeah, how about this? So we're signing we, we do it, right? So I'm I'm texting the guy. He's a big um like, uh, I found out from somebody from the Clippers that he's a big Breaking Bad fan. So I'm fucking talking. I'm I'm texting him. I'm out. It's like July 4th or whatever. I'm out with my family at the fireworks. I'm texting him about fucking, like, Breaking Bad shit. We're going over our favorite episodes and shit. You know, talking about his free throw routine. We're good. And then, like, a day or two later, we're interviewing interns. And I, we're, at, we're at a restaurant interviewing interns. And I'm reading, like, Breaking Story, like... You know, they got – You know the Clippers have DeAndre Jordan trapped in a, in his house trying to get them to, to veto the trade or not go or not sign. It's crazy, man. Like crazy shit happens in the NBA and there's nothing you can do about it. Just one of those things. It's a fucking circus with no tent. At least when you go to the circus, there's a tent and the circus stays in the tent. In the NBA, there's no tent. It's a circus <laughs> in 30 tent cities. You know, and it, it's not – yeah, it's not going in, It's not going anywhere
0: anytime fast. Yeah, not nah, fair enough. Next one, Andrew and Pro, throughout your experience in the NBA, what's your favorite and least favorite type of offense that you played in and seen and why? I would love to hear both your perspectives. A big fan of the podcast. For me, obviously, the, the Golden State Warriors was you know the pinnacle for me. I, I just love ball movement. The other offense I liked, Scott Skiles ran some really good stuff, um, a lot of post high elbow stuff a lot of ball movement, a lot of misdirection stuff with counters. Um, so, wasn't so much free flowing like it is today, but he had, he just had a really good X's and O's mind and had a really good playbook in his head at all times, even off the board. So, those two systems for me, most of the systems I played in were ball movement. I mean, Dallas, Dallas was interesting when I was there because we did a bit of delay stuff at times because that was a big strength of mine was handling the ball at the top and handoffs and back cuts and all that. And then um, we went, we went away from that and just went back to, to basic pick and roll to what they're running now. Um, I haven't had a system that I absolutely hated. I think early on in my NBA career, uh, with under Terry Stotts' first reign. We went to a lot of ISO stuff for Michael Red early in my career. I just hate ISO basketball, so I wasn't a fan of playing in ISO stuff. But that's a whole other skill you have to learn. Playing with ISO guys, you got to learn how to space for them. And my second time around with the Warriors, when we went ISO with KD, started to figure out what spots on the floor I needed to get to, either for an offensive rebound or if they come for a double, I need to stretch the floor to open up our shooters. So, you got to figure it out along the way. So, for me, ball moving offenses, favorite of mine, and then... ISO heavy offense is not a favorite as a player. What about you, pro?
1: Yeah, I liked what Phoenix ran with D'Antoni when they had Nash and Stoudemire. I liked having four out and spreading the floor and rolling, you know, rolling Stoudemire and then waiting for somebody to suck in, put two on Nash, someone to suck in a bump, you know, Stoudemire rolling, and then you opened up all these shooters and drivers. I- I'm a big fan of it. I don't like where the offense is now, where it's, it, it turns into five out. But I like having that one roller. I don't think having two post ups. I'd rather just the one. I think that works in spreading the floor. But I, I don't like where it goes with a five out these days. Um, but I liked I like their offense because if you have a good roller and a, a, pat, a point guard that could score and also hit the roller and the lob or <clears throat> you know make that perimeter pass when the, the defense sucks in, I like that. Big fan of it. It's funny. Like early on in my career, I really liked the triangle. And I ended up hating the triangle, especially working for Kobe at the end of his career. Because like you said, it's a lot of like isolation basketball in the sense that, you know, there's not a lot of screening that goes on. There's not a lot of pick and roll that goes on. It's just like isolated in the wing. This guy's got to create. I love the interior passing of the triangle. I, I really enjoyed that, especially when Gasol, you know, when, when Gasol was in L.A., you know, Gasol and Bynum, they played it really well. Lamar Odom did it well. But I didn't like the triangle at the end. Kobe wasn't a huge fan of it. The last year or two, he wanted more pin downs. You know, coming off screens, make it a little bit easier. You know, so he doesn't have to wear his wear his legs out as much creating when he got the ball in the wing. Obviously, you like the post up. But yeah, I'm a big. I was a big fan of D'Antoni stuff early on. You know, with the Phoenix stuff, and I I'm not, I wasn't a big fan of the triangle at the end of it.
0: Yeah, the triangle is I think it's such an it's an offense that you need. Specific players for, rather than the other way around, right? You can't just ho- you can't just sign any players and put them in the triangle. So that's where I think it, it has its issues. But thanks for your question there, Tian Tang. A really um, good question, and I know he's an avid follower of the podcast has has sent in a few questions along the way. So thanks for that. The last one isn't a question pro, so I thought I'd just get some um, some feedback for us about last podcast. Where we had some housekeeping issues around around our swearing, but um, I'll read sure. this through. It's from Joe Adamey, and we appreciate responses like this because it makes us think we're, we're half normal, but Hey boys just finished listening to your basketball podcast episode 15. I had to rewind your intro and listen to it twice to be sure that I heard you correctly. I have some free advice for your listeners. If you don't like hear pro dropping the F-bomb four times in one sentence, don't listen to the podcast. That's in all capitals. If you don't like the sound of someone taking the piss out of themselves, so that's um, Australian for making fun of yourself, don't listen to the podcast. And if you take fat jokes personally, don't listen to the podcast. My 9 and 11 year old kids listen to your. Podcast religiously. Ooh, that's, that's interesting.
1: Oh boy. <laughs> no, no. Sorry, um, brother.
0: Hey, sorry. If I can teach my kids to determine, I think this is a great point, by the way. If I can ke- teach my kids to determine the difference between right and wrong, appropriate, and inappropriate, and the reasons why some people cuss versus why some don't. There is no excuse why a grown-ass man or woman can't do the same. My kids know that cussing is not good. My kids know that making fun of people is not acceptable. Just because you see or hear other people doing it doesn't mean you condone it. The world is filled with all different walks of life that are capable of saying highly offensive, inappropriate things. Learn to accept it and get over it. Stop pretending the world is perfect. Put the effort into educating your kids and all yourself why people do that. Learn from it, shape yourself based on your own ethics and morals and see what you perceive as being a model citizen. Pro, keep talking shit and eating your way through life if that if that's what makes you happy. Bose keep driving that honesty train and throw all the PCBS out the window. There are many reasons why people tune into this podcast, but I'm sure the rawness and honesty is one of the biggest draw cards. Don't start giving people a reason to tune out. Love your work as always. And that was from Joe Ademi. Um Joe, rest assured we weren't gonna we weren't gonna change anything at all. Uh we just thought we'd address the concerns and let people know that. We'll do our best um, to not do what they want. But let's be honest, we're not going to do our best. We're going to continue to be ourselves. And this is why our podcast, the numbers are getting bigger every, every week and people appreciate listening to us. So, just some good reinforcement there, Pro.
1: Yeah, for sure. Look, I, I'm not fake, Bogues. You've been around me, you know, long enough in Dallas and other places. Like, I'm pretty genuine how I work. I'm a ball buster. I bust everybody's balls. I can take it. Look, the guys I grew up with in Boston, I got destroyed from like age eight to like, I'm still getting destroyed. <laughs> and it's all shit talking. And if you're not thick skinned, you're fucked. Because they're not going to stop. They're not going to stop. They're not going to stop. It's like, you know, goodwill hunting on steroids. You know, that's my guys that, that I hung out with and and, and still do to in these days. And you got, you know, that's just the way I talk. In Boston, that's what we do. We shit talk. And that's how I grew up. Now, look, I don't swear on my kids. I don't swear on my family. I swear on basketball. I swear on my friends. I just, that's just how I am. That's just how I was brought up. And I'm pretty respectful. And, and, and I'll let it go here. And that's about it. One thing, do you rather me swear on this thing? Like, and be like this nice guy, like this, like priest. And then like really swear in the background or an asshole, you know, on, on behind the scenes where no one can see me. Or, I mean, do you want me to tweet out, you know, you know Bible verses, but also send strippers dick pics? Like, <laughs> do you want me to be that guy? No, like I'm pretty fucking genuine. Like, it, like I don't give a fuck if I was making a 10 million a year or what I'm making now, minimum, less than minimum wage. I And I'm just gonna be the same. I treat everybody the same. I act the same. This is not an act. People who hang out with me, I talk shit. Ask Dirk Nowinski. I mean, I, I put him into an early grave Probably daily the shit I would tell him. You know, and he'd just laugh it off. You just have to have thick skin and have fun. And, like, I don't want to be on a podcast that it's fake. Most podcasts are fake. You you, you see the people who run those podcasts in real life. They treat people like complete dog shit, mostly. And they don't have time for people. I do. I try to I strike up conversations and talk shit. You know, I like that's what I do. And that's what Bogues does. And that's why I want to be here. Because it's a real It's a real sort of environment, it's not fake. You know, this is the way we do it. And I apologize for people who think I do swear, but I'm not, like I do swear and I am vulgar, but I'm not like obscene. There's the difference in my opinion between talking shit and swearing a lot and being obscene and saying some stuff that's like cringe worthy. And we've been around those people and it's, you know, whatever, I'm not gonna apologize for it. I'm like Popeye, I am who I am and I'm not apologizing for it. But, you know, like I said, I'd rather be that guy and just be open about it and rather than that God-fearing man that cheats on his wife and sends out, you know, dick pics to strippers. I think our
0: swearing is a warm, warm and cuddly type of swearing though. You know, so we have to give ourselves some kudos there. We're not we're not, we're not uh, getting guests on and and motherfucking them and all that. It's a war. It's a warm and cuddly banter type, and we have fun with it. Um, and I don't think it's a huge deal. I mean, if kids are listening, they're eleven and twelve, and you got parents that are listening to the podcast with them. You know, you can explain the context of swearing. There's there's a difference, and and everyone swears. Kids swear. You know, everyone swears. It's it's a lot of it comes down to context and what you mean by it. Um, and we're 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 yeah. doing it more of a a ball-breaking type aspect rather than trying to actually insult people. So keep enjoying that. We appreciate that feedback. Now we have a very special guest pro, a potential NBA lottery pick in, in next year's or next season's uh, NBA draft. Josh Giddy, we have a and a coming up. We're going to break his nuts a little bit, but let's just touch real quick on, on how you think that went as we lead into it. We've already done it. Um, I think it was fantastic to hear um, us break down Kind of his thoughts. We put him in a, in a few um, interesting situations with some questions about how he'd handle different things. We also learned about his journey as a junior and a very well spoken. I can't can't speak more highly of him. Very well rounded kid, and you'd hope he would be. Going into an NBA draft, he must have fantastic people around him that have advised him because his interview was fantastic for a young fellow. And I really, really enjoyed it. What about yourself?
1: Yeah, I enjoyed it. And, and what I wanted to do with that is I knew you were going to touch on his career, his upbringing, his junior play, and people that are around him. And what I wanted to do is ask him questions that he's going to see in draft meetings You know, where the teams like bring him in and, you know, not only work him out, but also like ask him questions about certain situations. If you're drafted in this team, in this situation, what would you do? Put him in a little bit on the spot. I thought he handled it well for an eight, uh, was he 19, Bogues? 18, 18? he's
0: 19 in October.
1: Yeah, so like 18-year-old kid, he's well-spoken, handles himself well, he's pretty grounded and like that's you don't see that a lot out of an 18 year old kid who would probably be a mcdonald's all-american high school kid in the states that's going to be probably a top 12 top 11 top 12 pick in the draft and i thought he handled himself great he was pretty cool to talk to It's cool stories and it's a you know cool way that he sort of communicated how how his journey's gone so far i thought it was good
0: so without further ado here is that interview i hope you enjoy all right, so we've got a special guest today, um, one of the brightest prospects in Australian basketball at the moment, a potential 2021 NBA lottery pick, not just a draft pick, but a lottery pick has really surged in the boards lately. Adelaide 36's star guard, Josh Giddy. welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Bo. Thanks for having me on.
0: No worries. Um, as I said, best, best current prospect from Australia um, that we've had since, obviously, Ben Simmons. Born in Melbourne, Australia, the, the the factory of producing NBA players. You're six foot eight, 18 years old, very, very young, turning 19. Are you done growing, by
2: the way? I don't know. I grew another inch over the last couple of months. So hopefully I've got a few more inches in me, but uh, we'll see
1: how that goes.
0: Yeah, six eight right now, pro. Maybe we can get him to six ten. That'll help, right?
1: It would. It'd be great to get that big. So we'll see where we go. Yeah, when they say six eights, usually means six six and a half, but I won't reverse judgment that too too much.
0: Yeah, and don't don't take him too seriously, Josh. He's going to take the piss out of you a little bit. (laughs) But uh, look, your your junior accolades, we'll go through those real quick. Under 18 championships in in, um, 2019, averaged 28.3 rebounds, six assists a game. You led Vic Metro to the title. In 2020, January 2020, you went over with the NBA Global Academy to Barcelona. You earned the most valuable player honors following month, then went to the NBA All-Star Weekend in Chicago, Basketball Without Borders camp, and you were named as part of the All-Star group there. So, we, we kind of, you know, there's not a lot of information about your junior days, but, I mean, talk us through your junior journey. Was it always smooth sailing? Was it up and down? I read that you were, you know, real disappointed you didn't make the state team as a, as a bottom major in under-18s. But, I mean, take us f- far back to, to when you were a young fella and, and growing up with basketball and how all that went for you.
2: Yeah, so well, my junior career was pretty, pretty interesting because I played all my juniors through Tigers. My um my dad coached me right from under 12s, I think it started to under 18s. And then um, obviously, you know, you have all the under 16 state teams, under eight state teams, which at the time is the most important thing in the world. And for me, it was because under 16 bottom age, I got cut really early in the process. And, you know, I made a promise to myself that I wasn't going to get cut again. And same thing happened, top eight, six, and I didn't make it. Then I'm like, all right, this is it. And then, came back the following year for bottom age 18 still didn't make it, and I, um, that's when I really put the foot down and I, I really got in the gym, started working I uh, knew I had to improve my game to, to make the next state team and then um, when the next try rolled around I was ready for it and that was finally the first team, first state team I made and um, you know I happened to have a pretty good tournament in in Townsville uh, we won the gold medal there so you know my junior career through, through the state ranks and the junior ranks was I was always kind of you know in the middle crop of players I was never you know, a standout player, but I was never, you know, right down the bottom. So I was kind of in that middle crop of of guys and um, it kind of motivated me to work because I wanted to be at that top end of players and, and kind of get the recognition. And I think, uh, top age 18s, I finally got that recognition that that I was working so hard for. So um, it was good to see that that work pay off.
0: Yeah, no, I think we 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 see that pro very very often as well. Um, a lot of the kids, a lot of a lot of players in the NBA, kind of come on very very late. I don't know a lot of Australian kids were the same. I mean, Ben was Ben Simmons, kind of a freak that just. Dominated all levels for the most part, but but most of us, you know, Joe Ingles, Patty, myself, Bainsy, um, yep. you know, we came on very very late, and I think it's a blessing in disguise. As much as we hate it, and we're in the moment. Um, I think coming through those processes, if you know, arguably, if you would have made that under sixteen state team, you know, would you have potentially worked as hard and, and put as much effort in later yeah, exactly. on in your in your junior career? Yeah,
2: no, that's that's exactly what I think about. I was I always used to think about you know because at the time I was I was gutted because the under sixteen state team is. To be all end all for everyone at that age, and at the time I was, you know, I was crying in my car. I didn't make the team, but as I look back at it now, I kind of think, you know, maybe it was a blessing in disguise that I didn't make it because if I made it, you know, maybe I was complacent. I got happy with myself and I didn't work as hard. But so, you know, I I do look at it that way because in the end, I am happy that I didn't make it because it forced me to work hard and I kept getting cut and it kept forcing me to work harder. So, um, you know, at the time, it's devastating because you want to be in those teams, but when you look back at it, when you get older, you kind of realize that. They don't mean, you know, making number 16's team, state team doesn't mean anything for the long run. Because you see a lot of the guys that make those teams, they don't, they stop playing basketball after, you know, two years later. So um, it is a blessing in disguise for me personally, because I think if I did make those teams, I think I I don't, I don't think I'd be where I'm at today. So, um, you know, as I look back at, I'm pretty happy I did not make that team.
1: Yeah, Josh. Like when people are going to ask you about your early years. I mean, not just us, but like NBA teams, and you know, when they bring you in for a draft evaluation. And I think they like to see people be competitive. You know, especially with most of the American kids, when they see it, then when they get adversity early on in their careers, they tend to like, especially when they were dominating their whole career and they finally see adversity it really, it's a gut check and for you to get cut from those teams and to have sort of the competitive, you know, will to get better, I think it, it says a lot about you as far, as well as a young kid doing that and I think it says a lot about your development and, you know, that's, that's, that's a great thing to hear and it's a great thing to tell people as well as you just hang it, that chip on your shoulder and you're competitive. That's a big part about being really good in this league.
2: Yeah, no, 100%. It's, I've always kind of had a competitive, you know, fire within me and It really sparked when I I got cut from all those teams I wanted to make. And um, as I touched on, when you were 14, 15 years old, you think those teams are like making an NBA All-Star game. And if you don't make it, you know, the world's going to end. But um, as you get older, you look back at it and you start to realize that, you know, it it doesn't mean much. So um, so that that competitive edge has definitely always been there for me. And I've kind of always played with a, a bit of a chip on my shoulder.
0: Yeah, and tell us, tell us just about growing up. Um, you know, you, you have a really high basketball IQ, which we'll touch on a bit later, but is part of that just being dragged along with the old man at practice? Were, were you around a lot as a kid, around around the Tigers, around Andrew Gaze, Leonard Copeland? The, 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 you know, y- your father was a huge glue guy part of that team, kind of did the intangibles and the nitty-gritty stuff that obviously the stars wouldn't do, and that's why they were so successful. But I, I assume you were dragged on a lot to to those practices and, and just picked up the game that way.
2: Yeah, 100%. Because ever since, ever since I was... You know, I can remember two or three years old. Dad came straight from playing when he retired and he moved straight into a coach role with the Tigers. And ever since I could really dribble a ball, I was always in practices, you know, running around, kind of annoying all the guys at the holiday camp, seeing everyone. So I I was kind of heavily involved with it right from a really, really young age. And um, that's kind of where I think the IQ comes from because my dad and and Drewy, they coached me all through my junior careers. And they taught a really kind of team-orientated system. And I think, you know, it's a really pass 1st dominant. System. And that's kind of where my passing ability comes from, I think, because I've done it since I was ten years old right until now. So um, having having Drewy and my dad coach me was was kind of the best thing for me because they were obviously two very smart players. Obviously, Drewy's the the um, best best ever to play in the NBL. So to have those two with me through, through my junior careers was um, very beneficial.
0: And for those those not familiar, um, Warwick Giddy he's uh, Josh's father. He played in the NBL. Had a really long great career, won some championships, um, played in the late 80s and, and retired in um, the early 2000s, but uh, predominantly with the Melbourne Tigers, started out in Wollongong, but that's what we're referring to when we go there, but um, give us a reason why, I've read a little bit about it, but you chose the NBL and the Adelaide 36 specifically over over college. Um, what, what was the reasoning? Was it your decision solely? Was your, were your family involved? Do you have someone mentoring you? How did that all work out to, to come to, to fruition? Yeah,
2: um, That was a really tough decision for me. Me because I was you know, early on I was like really adamant on college. I was ninety nine percent college and then I went on a visit to um the University of Colorado and I was I came I flew home and I'm like all right I'm gonna commit and then I was, you know, ninety nine point nine percent committed there and then I got back and I started talking with some people and then thinking about it more and, you know, I decided the nbl route was gonna be better for me just in terms of, you know, being able to stay home, my family's here. I I get to play uh with grown men in a professional league. Um with so many eyes on it at such an early age. And I think it was going to, you know, fast track my development. So that was kind of the reasoning behind that. But it, it wasn't an easy decision at all, because ever all the times I went with the NBA Global Academy overseas on those trips, it was all college coaches recruiting. So all I ever spoke to was college people and coaches and, and all that kind of stuff. So I was really, really locked in on college. But then, um, you know, I, I kept tossing and turning. And it wasn't an easy decision. But mom was really, she was really set on me going to college as well. She, she didn't really want me to go the NBL pathway but then uh, well, I kind of talked her out of it and she came around to it later and I think he's pretty happy
0: with it now. Yeah, definitely, definitely a good decision. That's that's worked out well, and um, I think it's it's a hard one when you're when you're at that age because every every college coach as as pro would know tells you everything you want to hear and and um, that you're going to be this, and you're going to be that, and we're going to cater towards you. And, and it can go either way in college. To be honest, you can you can all of a sudden have a coach get fired mid season, you can have a, a program change, you can get over recruited, which happens to guys. So I think you've you made the right decision. And, and, and playing against grown men, um, I think that's going to be invaluable to you and. And your process, and I think it's it's arguably helped you um, not having a transition to a new country, a new system, probably a, a crazy college coach, um, depending on where you went to, although, although Pro does think your uh, your coach is a little nuts, right, Pro?
1: Oh, my God. He's like a fucking villain from a Jason Bourne movie. I, I mean, he's like, he's a, he's a he, like, I watched him last night. I was half falling asleep because it was like 3.30 in the morning here. And this fucking, I know Connor Henry a little bit because he played for the uh, Boston Celtics. And I'm from Boston, you know, a long time ago, and he scouted in the, in the NBA for a while. But dude, he's like one of those like serious looking dudes. And when, when he goes off in those huddles, you're like, what the fuck? And then go going off on those guys uh, on that clip a couple of weeks ago a couple when uh, I said you're over dribbling over-dribbling, you're over dribbling the fucking water boys over dribbling that was pretty funny how
0: have you how have you transitioned to that um, just, just being a professional on a daily basis obviously coming from from the academy up in Canberra and, and where everything's kind of you know somewhat catered towards you and, and your needs where all of a sudden now you're a professional you got to kind of be much more self-sufficient um, are you, you is your family in Adelaide how are you handling all the off-course stuff and the transition
2: yeah it's um at the start I mean First off, I think the academy does a good job of kind of incorporating a professional environment in Canberra. So that's kind of, it kind of helped me transitioning into the 36 kind of group. But, um, at the start, it was tough because, you know, it's, I've always come from junior, you rock up the training two minutes early, put your shoes on and get some shots up and leave. But here it's like you got weights, you got training, you got video, you got extra sessions after, before. So it's a complete different world. And I think, um, at the start, it took me a while to get used to it and, and kind of get 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 into the groove of it. But once I did, I, I kind of figured it out pretty early on, and um, it's it just been smooth sailing from there. But um, you know, being a professional uh, to being a junior basketball is a complete different a complete different world. And um, I think the, the first you know a couple of weeks are probably the hardest,
1: but once you get adjusted, it's pretty smooth sailing from there. Yeah, from directing a you know player development for Dallas for six years and sort of getting rookies when they come in. You know, as far as getting in a routine every day, I think that's one of the most important things that any rookie could have. It didn't matter if you're, you know, a second round pick, first round pick, lottery pick. Having a routine, you know, working for guys like Kobe Bryant and and, and you know Rayon Rondo and, and guys like that that are very they think the game, they they invested in the game, um, routines every day regardless of how you're playing, I think are really important. Take us through your routine daily that you go through as a professional now. You know, like just take us through a regular day, uh, a non-game day, like a practice day, maybe getting ready for an opponent um in the next day or two. Take us through a regular day for you in, in sort of the importance of that for your your development.
2: Yeah. So um a regular day we probably have weights at nine o'clock and then probably nine till ten ish and then uh, the stadium's only a couple minutes away, so we head over there, um, so, and then usually we'll, we'll most guys will get a workout in before practice, then we'll watch video, come back on the court and have our main session, and then that'll probably be about two hours, and then once the session's done, you know, guys will hang around, get another workout in after, get shots up, um, and then guys might go see a physio, go to a recovery center, uh, do all that extra stuff outside of practice after. So. You know, most times the days don't finish. They, they start at maybe 9 o'clock and they finish at about 4, 4.30. So it's um, it's not just, you know, getting in, get some shots up, get out. So, so the days are actually longer than what people might think. And um, it's, a, it's a full-time job. So, you know, the day in the Dana life of basketball is pretty similar in terms of work hours to someone that sits in an office. So, um, it's a, they are long days and they're tough, but they're rewarding.
0: And I also read that Donald Sloan um, pulled you aside after a session. Is that, is that correct? Just take us through exactly what happened there and kind of your your foray into welcome welcome to the professional world.
2: Yeah. Um, so, I was like, after a practice one time, I, I just went and sat down and Sloan came over to me. He's like, you know, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, you know, practice is done. I'm just, you know, going to head home. And then that was kind of my awakening to the professional world. And he, he got me up. He took me to the backboard and we worked out about forty five minutes and I was just dripping in sweat by the end of it. And that was kind of my, you know, welcome with the professional world moment because it just shows you have to work before and after practices to get to where you want to get to. And and Sloan has been in the NBA and he's get he's, he's been where I, I want to get to. And you know, he he's kind of showed me the ropes while he was here to, to what he did and what he's done to to get to where he has. And um, you know, just just doing the extra stuff. It's, it can't just be the team practices and the team weights that that will get you to where you wanna be. It's it's all this little extra stuff that gives you an advantage over all the other guys chasing the same dream as you. So um, that was kind of what he taught me. Yeah, well, we
0: also noticed, we'll run through your stats real quick. You're, you're currently at 11.2 points, basically seven and seven. You're basically 11, seven and seven a night. One thing I noticed is your three-point shooting. Um, obviously, people were asking questions about that early in the season. Some teams were kind of messing with you a little bit, daring you to shoot it, and um, you didn't look that comfortable in the first couple of months of the season. But I've noticed a dramatic improvement over this last month watching you. Where you've you've now got it up to a respectable thirty three percent, and that's you know the good thing about that. People don't understand is that you've come from a long way back. I think you were shooting in the twenties at one point early on. Yeah. But what I've noticed is you're you're comfortable now stepping into it and shooting it. You're shooting it off the dribble. You even you even shot a few step backs, and I believe yeah. it's a testament to to you putting in more time and realizing hey, there's a, a a little bit of a weakness here in my game that I need to address and needs to be better than than it is. And talk us through the process you went through mentally to. To fix that and then obviously the work you've put in um behind closed doors.
2: Yeah, that was um that was a big thing for me coming into the season. That was kind of a knock people always had on me it was my ability to shoot the three. And at the start of the year, you know, I, I was reading a lot of stuff and I was kind of letting it get into my head and I was I think I was one of twenty at one point and you know, I was really worried. Every time I shoot, I'm like, Oh, this has to go in or the percentages are gonna look bad and I was you know, I was worried about what people were gonna say and think about me, but then um, I think I had a game where I was, I was four. I think it was in Brisbane one night, and I, I shot it horribly. And I um I texted – I think Drew, texted me, and he goes – he said, you know, it's tough right now, but it's a mental thing. And, and that's the thing I really realized. It was all in my head. And then I um I started getting in the gym with Jamie Perlman, our assistant coach, and I said, you know, this is something i really got to work on. And um, ever since then, I've kind of just – I've not cared about whether it goes – whether it makes or misses. I've just, you know, shot it – shot every shot like it's going to go in. And that was the big thing for me. It was kind of the turning point, I think. There was one game I hit a few threes and I'm like, All right, I can shoot the ball. And I've always known I can shoot it, but it's just been a, a mental battle for me. And, um, you know, in the last month, I've, I've been shooting the ball, you know, much better than I was at the start of the season. So um, I think it was just a confidence thing. And once I saw some, a few go down through the net, it was just, you know, kind of uphill from there.
1: Josh, you've got to understand, especially where you're going in the next, you know, in the next 12 months. It has to be something where you just, as long as you're technically sound in your shot and you feel comfortable and confident at it, you have to be not too high and not too low. You just yeah. got to be able to shoot it. Like you know, you talk about players that don't like shooting the three, that don't shoot a good percentage, they don't even want to shoot it. Yeah, you biggest gotta, thing. Yeah, the biggest thing for you is to step in at every shot, regardless if it goes in or not. You just have to evaluate the fact that is the three there for you, and did you know was that an available good shot? And taking those good shots, and don't worry about you know. Look, your three is going to go in. It's going to get better. People, when they get to the NBA, once they put time into it, especially after the first eighteen months, they you know, the, especially by the second, third season, they make a good jump. Especially if they're doing the things that they have to do. So don't don't worry about your percentages. Free throw shooting is probably more important than the three initially. You know, because you got to be able to make free throws. If you can't make threes, but you can make your free throws, you can find a way to get you know, get it, to get the job done. But if you can't shoot free throws or threes, that's an issue. But yeah, don't get too high or too low. Just keep shooting them when they're open. And I think that's a big part of development. Mm-hmm. I don't think.
0: Yeah. And that's been, you know, one of the testaments to getting into the NBA is that, that you know, Players, coaches, people are going to test you. Sometimes you'll have coaches that will want to look at your shot and say, "Oh, we need to fix something." Um, and that's that's where yep. you know what Pro saying rings true because some people want to fix you, and it might it might not be broken, but they want to fix you, and because it's not textbook like out of a book, right? So yeah. like yeah. Pro said, just stay confident with with your shit, keep shooting it with confidence, and, and as long as that ball's going in, and, and look, I don't think you're you're ever going to be. A guy like JJ Redick, because it's not your game. I think you're, you're much better running an offense, um, distributing. But if you can hit that one to two, three point shots a night, I think it, as you, as you would agree, it just opens up your game so much more.
2: Yeah. hundred percent. It was, um, it, it, at the start, it was tough because I couldn't knock down a three and teams were going under on balls and they were daring me to shoot. And I couldn't get downhill and kind of make things happen. And then ever since the three started dropping, it forces guys to chase over screens and allows me to get into the paint and, and have the defense collapse and find shooters. So, um, Yeah, as you said, just even knocking down, you know, a couple of nights, it opens up the game so much more for me.
0: Yeah, and look... I honestly believe, look, this is probably something that you, you probably shouldn't answer, but if you were, you're in a system that's, you know, kind of Henry runs a lot of, a, a lot of misdirection to get to where he's, where your set ends up or, or a lot of, a lot of kind of move the ball just nonchalantly to then get to our pick and roll. When I looked yep. at, um, Mallow, you know, people compete to Mallow, obviously being in the NBL and whatnot to Mallow Ball. And, and, you know, if you were on a team like Illawarra last season that were awfully bad, weren't winning a lot of games, Uh, Mallow's usage was insane. Everything went through him. I think your numbers would almost be, you know, even more eye popping than they are. I think it's a testament that yeah. you've bought into what Adelaide's trying to do. They're trying to rebuild there and win and a new coach. But, you know, you, you, you took it on the chin starting on the bench early on in the season, people asking questions, what's going on. I think that's a testament to what you, you know, what you've done um, from a professional standpoint is you, you never bitched or complained about it. You could have easily been as pro knows, like a lot of kids in college these days. One bad month, they want to transfer. You stuck it out, and I think you're having a phenomenal year. But I will go on record and say, if you were playing for that Illawarra team, we'd be comparing your numbers to Mellow's of, of, of last season just because your usage would be up where I don't think you're getting as much of that usage in the way Conor Henry, um, you know, coaches.
2: Yeah, it's, um, obviously Mellow's situation was a bit different to mine because, you know, obviously his team didn't win a whole lot of games and the, the offense was solely ran through Lamelo. But the luxury that I have is I'm playing with, you know, Isaac and DJ, two of the best bigs in the league. I've got Brandon Paul, who's an NBA, you know, wing, Sunday Dead Shoes. You know another stud, so I have these you know great guys around me that I don't. Ha- it doesn't have to solely rely on me to do stuff. So that's a, I think it's a luxury for me, and I think the good thing for the 36ers is you know we we struggled midway through that season. We had a you know a rough stretch, but I think we're back on track now, and we're, and we're trying to make a, a push for the finals. So um, you know I'm not worried about you know my stats or what I do or this and that. I'm, I'm worried about winning, and you know we've won two in a row. We had a good win last night against the, the best team in the league. So. Um, you know, right now things are moving along and, um, you know, it doesn't really matter because we have so many guys that can step up on, on any given night. And we saw last night we had, you know, Brandon had 20, I think DJ had 30 or something. So any night it can be someone different. Keanu who played his best game for the season. So um, we've, got, we've got so many weapons and, and guys off the fence that can provide a spark. So it's it's good that we've got a deep squad that can step up on any night.
1: And Josh, you know, it's a lot better. Believe me, it's a lot better doing it the way you're doing it rather than having a team where they run everything through you. I think it's big with, it stunts NBA players' development early on, where they come you know, from college, they're like the LeBron James of their team. Every plays run to them, they take 25 shots a night, they're just on the ball constantly. The way the NBA's played, as you notice, that point guards come into the league, they play on the ball, they play off the ball. You know, you, you know it, not everything's run to you. You gotta cut, you gotta play off the ball, you gotta play defense. Not every play is here where like you're just going to get these 30, 30, you know, 25 shots a night. And having that resilience and and dealing with those situations and battling every night to try to win and playing off of other people. See, that's where, that's where American players really struggle early when they come in, you know, especially the ones that are drafted mid to late first, second round, where they're used to having the ball in their hands all the time. We had it in Dallas where, you know, we had like Dirk Nowitzki, Harrison Barnes, you know, we had two juggernauts that dominated the ball and then a rookie would come in. And they're used to having the ball all the time, and their role will have to be sitting, you know, standing in the corner, waiting for a shot, straight line driver. Nothing's really run to them, and they really struggle with that. Now, that's not going to be you because you're you're going to play a lot of point, and you're going to have the ball in your hands a little bit. But playing the way you're playing now really is going to help you. And I think you you sort of acknowledged it, which is great. It's going to just help you even more, you know, you know, going forward.
2: Yeah, no, hundred percent. It's it's a blessing for me to to be able to play with. You know the guys that I do, and and have the teammates around me that I do. It makes my job so much easier. Um, it takes a lot of the load off me because obviously, you know, running the point in this league is tough because there's a lot of really, really good point guards. So, um, you know, I'm I'm just glad I have a you know really, really strong group around me. So,
0: one comment I I, I saw which I really liked. I'm gonna I'm gonna read this out. So. You were asked about, you know, potentially leaving Adelaide halfway through the season or whatnot. This was a while ago. And and your comments read, I think I'll stay here regardless if we come dead last or if we're first on the ladder. I think I'll be here for the whole regular season until that's over. And we've played all of our games. For me, it's about sticking with it. I've never been one to not want to play regardless of if we're losing or winning. Now, that's that's a rare quality, I believe, in today's young fellas. Um, I think pro would agree, especially with with the the shining star you have on your name right now. You have a lot to risk, obviously, with injury and could have some bad games. You're at a point now where you're averaging almost a triple-double, and you know you could potentially, and no one would fault you for it. Say I'm going to shut it down, and I'm just going to prepare for the draft. So the fact that you've come out and said that, I, I love it because you're finishing what you started. You're, you're a team first guy. It's clear as day talking to you that you, you value team principles and, and you want to finish. You know what you're involved in. So just just talk to us about that mindset.
2: Yeah, it's um, it's just something I've always kind of had. And and Dad was a you know he engraved this in me. That, you know you you don't quit. You never give up. You start where you finish and. Um, for me it's you know, it's I've never even had thoughts about shutting it down or anything like that. I mean, um, for me it's always been about playing it out and and you know, and I think we have a really good chance to to you know to make this finals push and you know, even if we were we had not won a game, we we're dead last, I'd I'd finish the season with these guys because, you know, we've battled hard, we we train hard every day. So for me to just quit on them doesn't look good on me and 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 it's not what I'm about. So um, you know, we've got a lot of games left and there's so much time left in this season for us to to kind of swing things around. And I think we, we've got it on track the last few weeks. So um, I'll be here the whole season.
1: Yeah, Josh, you know what pre-draft training is, to be honest? An agent's gonna send you some fucking gym in LA. You're just gonna get shots up with no energy. That's just how it is, right? You don't play against anybody because no one wants you to play against anybody. And it's just gonna be boring, monotonous stuff. You're actually helping a team win. First of all, it's a hell of a quality to have. Yeah. Second of all, it just sort of keeps you fresh. And it, it you're like a fighter that would fight everybody versus a fighter that like, you know, they sort of hide from certain things, you're not that you're, you're playing, you're helping a team that pre draft training, I did it, you know, I did it for 10 years. And it's all right, but it's just like monotonous stuff. I think it's better to do what you're doing, regardless of record. It just makes you. It makes you look a lot better in a lot of these GMs' minds and scouts' minds. Like this kid really wants to compete and help a team win, versus just play, you know, play one on one against a ch- one on zero against a chair for two months and really not get a lot done. It's it's believe me, it's a sh- it's you're doing a, you're doing a lot better doing what you're doing.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But you are you are losing uh, potential Instagram followers, pro. You know, posting those videos going against the chair and, you know, that's a good
1: point. Like (laughs) you are missing having an Instagram trainer with nine tennis balls, four fucking chairs, you know, with rap music going on in the background. So, so they can get a couple of hundred thousand followers doing bullshit workouts. 98% of the shit you won't do in real games. Exactly. Yeah, I, you know what happened, Josh? I said so many good things in a row. And if you listen to this podcast, I'm usually not that nice. So I I had a, I have to throw a couple of, you know, F bombs out there. So I apologize. I'm sorry it took 30 minutes to do that, but you know, we just got to do what we got to do around here. Exactly. No, no worries.
0: So, um, run us through how your body's held up. Your first year pro, you, you had an ankle injury about three weeks ago. Um, tweaked it. You out a couple of games. But I'm going to give you. I'm going to. I'm going to get you to self-evaluate yourself. So this is long-winded, but what do you feel like you need to improve on body-wise? Whether it's strength, agility, speed. Kind of what's your positive and negative? So what's something you're really good at body-wise? What's something you really need to improve? And that same question, I'd go with skill-wise and then offensively and defensively. Just just self-evaluate yourself with with what you need to work on. In order all, all aspects of, of basketball and body, and 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 what you think is really good.
2: Yeah, um, in terms of my body, I mean, before the start of this season, I was like really, really skinny. I was, I think, I was right around the, like the eighty kilo mark, and I'm at about ninety, ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven now. So that was a big thing for me was putting on some size and kind of bulking up a bit, which I did in the off season, which is you know unfortunate I did because who knows what could happen if I was still weighing eighty kilos in this league, but. Uh, for me, you know, just getting stronger w- was a big thing for me because I had to, you know, obviously playing in a, a physical league at, at 18 years old was, was going to be tough, um, not having much strength on me. So that was the big thing for me in the off season. Um, I started, I, I've got to get better, you know, kind of a low center of gravity. I think I, you know, everyone would, everyone comments on it. I play pretty upright. It's just how I've always played. It's been natural for me that way. I never really, you never really see me, you know, shit down in a in a stance on either end of the floor, of course. Always play kind of upright. It's, it's just how I've always done it. Um, you know, offensively, I think the big thing for me to work on is is you know it's my shot. Um, it's getting better, and and I'm working on it every day. So um, by no means am I satisfied where it's at yet. I've, I've still got a long way to go, and um, that's a big area of improvement I, I need to get better at. Um, and on the defensive, end, it's probably just I think it's sitting down in the sense. I think it's something I've got to get better at, and, and I acknowledge it. And I watch a film with the coaches about what I've got to do to. Kind of work on that stuff and it's being more engaged on the ball and off the ball. So, they're probably the big areas for me that um, I've got to lock in on and get better at over the next uh, couple of months while I'm in Adelaide.
0: And that'll, that'll change along the way. Uh, you know, your defense, my defense was, was horrible as a, not horrible, but as a 17, 18-year-old just hadn't learned, hadn't had someone sit down and teach me. Defensive principles, and I'm sure you're probably very, very similar, you know, the junior ranks, at least in Australia. We talk a little bit about it, help side, point your pistols, but until you get into a professional environment, for me, it was Rick Majeris and then obviously getting into the NBA, that'll all come with time, and, and you know, I was labeled a defensive bust, and then made an all-defensive team in the NBA, so I don't think that'll- yeah. That'll be a hindrance on you. I think you're you're a smart guy, and your IQ alone will 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 make you figure it out. But run us through your ideal system offensively. What, what, what tempo? What obviously you're you're very good coming off pick and rolls. Very good seeing the floor. But if if we could say, all right, I'm your head coach. What is your ideal system that you want to run um, as a, as a point guard? Do you want tempo? Or do you want up and down? You know the old Phoenix Suns style, um, Houston Rockets style, or do you want kind of a hybrid?
2: Um, it's a good question actually because I don't. Like I don't mind either pace, you know. When we when it's a fast-paced game, we're getting up and down, or if it's in the half court, um, you know, kind of getting through getting through a system. But either one's fine with me because I think I love playing in transition. That, that's I think that's when I'm at my best when I'm out in the open floor, just you know making plays on the fly, um, getting you know kicking the ball ahead, getting guys looks, but also in the half court, just you know coming off long balls, kind of seeing the floor, you know, and slowing the game down for myself. So, um, you know, either one for me is is pretty fine.
0: Yeah, that's great. I mean, and that's what it's going to come down to. You know, a lot of times getting drafted, you could go to a. You know, when I was drafted, I hate talking about myself, but I went to the East, and it was a grinded out, physical type. It was very, very long possessions. And now, what we see today in the game is is, is most teams are now trying to go up tempo, shoot a lot of threes, drawing kicks. So, I think. I think you have both skill sets, in my opinion, from the games that I've watched. I I agree. I think open floor, pick and roll style and transition, drags, I think that's your game. But I think you still have that rare quality where if the game slows down, you can still get the ball where it needs to go to get a good shot within your
2: offense.
1: Yeah. Hey, uh, Josh, what's your film study like yourself, like getting ready for opponent? So, you're going to play, you know, against – X point guard or X, you know, guard that you're gonna to have to guard, and who's gonna guard you? Do you do any film study yourself? Do you self-evaluate your own film and and sort of, or do you ask for it from coaches like, how's your preparation for opponents now at this level, at this stage of your career?
2: Yeah, no, it's it's actually pretty good, I think, because the night before, to say last night we played Perth, the night before I watched perth's latest game, and I and I watched obviously I knew Mitch Norton was gonna guard me, and I kind of just watched how he guards and stuff like that, and then I. I try to pick it apart and kind of just dissect it and see, you know, where I'm going to be able to, you know, attack them, what they do on, you know, on-ball screens, how they you know, react off the ball, stuff like that. So I usually watch the the team and the, the, the guy that's going to guard me before the night before we play them. But um, the, the coaches do a good job of kind of giving us individual player scouts and they cut our video for us, give us notes about, you know, what guys' tendencies are, what they do and stuff like that. So um, we're, we're pretty well covered in, in that aspect. Uh, prior to games. And um, I think, you know, by myself, I I do a pretty good job of um, kind of watching film and and cutting it up myself and kind of just seeing who we're going to be going up against the next night.
1: For your own development, okay, in my opinion, you got to know this on yourself and the players you're playing against. Why did you play well? And why didn't you play well? So like if you struggled struggled to pick and roll, don't accept the answer from a coach or yourself saying, oh, I'll just play harder next time. You got to dissect the film, figure out the mistakes that you made because mistakes are great in development. Don't, you know, a thousand percent, but you got to figure out why a player plays well and why they don't, especially when you're scouting against them. And then for yourself, just figure out your mistakes and continue to force yourself to make mistakes sometimes. And then the more reps you know you go through, you're going to be fine with it. But the, the study in film, you know, like like I said, Ray John Rondo is one of my closest friends in, in, in the league, and he always wants rookies because he thinks that's a big problem with rookies that he's played with the last four or five years. That's the film study and studying why they make mistakes and or why they played well. So always know why you played well and why you didn't. And just keep an open notebook on the players that you're going to be playing against, especially when you get to the league next year, because that film study is going to be huge in your development, especially in strategic things like situation, situational basketball.
0: All right, bro. What a hypothetical for you. Um, and pro thought of this. So, he actually thought of something which is rare on this podcast because I'm usually carrying all the all the weight, no pun intended, pro. But go for it.
1: Yeah, it takes me three hours to make a minute, right? So, don't worry about it. All right. So, hypothetical, Josh. You're drafted – say you're drafted 10, okay, by, say, the Golden State Warriors. Yeah. Now, you've got to play with Steph who plays, you know, mostly on the ball. Yeah. You've got, you know – and now you're going to have to share, you know, time a lot of, you know, have a lot of time off the ball and play in a situation like that in a system like that. And especially now, you know, they're going to have got, you're know, going to have Clay Thompson back from injury. They're going to have the, their full roster. So you're not going to go to a team. Just say hypothetical. You're not going to go to a team that just sort of a like really bad team that won 14 games that you're going to be, you know, thrown in and, and you know, they're going to run everything through you. Now you're going to go to a team that sort of has a full roster in the sense of people, you know, veterans, they're going to, their best player dominates the ball on the ball, plays well off the ball, but it's going to have a lot of reps on the ball handling it. How are you going to sort of navigate your way through that system where you're going to be playing off the ball a little bit? And then, you know, obviously, obviously when he gets out of the game, then they'll probably shift you back on the ball. But how are you going to handle a situation like that?
2: Yeah, um. I haven't actually really thought about something like this, but it's a good question because it's something I've got to get used to because most teams in the league have really, really good point guards and obviously Steph is you know, arguably the best point guard to ever play. So, um, you know, to go there would be would be really, really fun because I get to learn off someone like Steph and get to play alongside, you know, Clay, Draymond, those type of guys. And it's a wealth of knowledge, obviously a bunch of high IQ guys that I can learn from. But um, playing off the ball, it'll be, you know, it'll be different for me because every team I've ever played on, I've, you know, had the ball and. Um, as you said, there's there's a lot of ball, you know, kind of ball-heavy guys, and, and Steph's one of them who who needs it doesn't need the ball, but he has the ball in his hands a lot of the time. And um, uh yeah, I, I don't know, it'd be it'd be an adjustment thing for me because I, as I said, I've never really played off the ball like that. But it's obviously something I'd be willing to do and would have to do. And and um, it's a, it'd be a learning thing for me. But I think once I get settled into something like that, I'd it'd be um pretty smooth from there.
1: And a couple of – just the, the last hypothetical on it where you, you look at Anthony Edwards and you see Ball as well. They both started the season coming off the bench. Yep. If that was a situation that you would face – and these are questions you're going to be asked. When you have your meetings with teams, they're going to ask you questions like this. So it doesn't matter if you know or not know right now, but it, we're just curious about your answers. But it's some things you got to think about, like how would you adjust – you know, they played 15, 20 games off the bench and then there was full-time starters and the, obviously the usage and everything went through the roof. But how do you handle that situation coming in the league at first, not, you know, if you're not starting? a uh, Hypothetical, depending on what team you're going to play on.
2: Yeah, no, it doesn't, nothing changes for me. Whether I play 40 minutes, play 20 minutes, I'm going to, you know, do, play the same that I, that I usually would. Uh, regardless if I'm starting, coming off the bench, nothing will change for me. It's um, you know, I, I know how it works. i I know how the league works. You know, it's really tough for rookies to come in and and start straight away and and have a huge impact like you know some of these you know once in a generational rookies you see that that have that impact. So um, you know, I'm pretty aware of, of how that all works and you know whether it's coming off the bench playing three minutes a game or coming off the bench playing 30 minutes or, or whatever it is, I'm I'm going to play the way I play and, and do what I have to do to. Um, help the team win as many games as, as we can. Right,
0: tell us something that we don't know about you. Um, something that look your hobbies, your interests outside of basketball. I know you like playing video games, but I mean, tell us something quirky, something something away from basketball that that you know listeners would really enjoy to hear.
2: Jeez.
1: Um, <laughs> Put yeah. it on the spot. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Uh, nice, folks. Yeah,
2: PlayStation's probably the big thing for me. I mean, outside of basketball and training, there's not a lot really to do in Adelaide, but. You know, I live on the beach, so I'm there pretty often. Um, PlayStation, I, I FaceTime a lot of my friends back home. You know, I got friends in college, my parents. Well, my parents come up here a fair bit, actually, so I spend a bit of time with them. Um, I'm a big shoe collector, so I spend a lot of time online buying shoes and stuff like that. So they're probably
1: my hobbies outside of basketball.
0: That's the right answer. Basketball is oh. life, bro. Basketball is life.
2: Exactly.
1: But folks, I have a feeling that PS5 ain't going to be making the fucking trip when he goes to LA and New York. That's just my opinion. But, you know, I, I don't think he's going to be playing fucking, you know, too many games I in don't those know. cities.
0: There is a lot of good shoes you can purchase out there. You better, you better get a deep checkbook, young fella, because they can get pretty expensive. You look at, like the PJ Tucker collection. Whew.
2: Yeah. I'm out there.
0: I mean, finally, I'll just ask you this. What, what Have you looked far ahead yet with your plan postseason with what you're going to do? Are you going to stay based in Australia? I mean, COVID's kind of thrown a spanner in the works where you can't really travel too much yet. But would your plan, yeah. obviously, Daniel Moldovan, shout out to him for organizing this first and foremost, from now the uh, executive VP of Octagon Basketball, who's your agent. W- was the plan probably to go over there and work out postseason? I mean, wh- how, do you, how do you see all that going?
2: Yeah, um, I think more than likely, depending on what happens with the COVID stuff and, you know, if travel restrictions are eased or what the deal is, I'll probably head to LA and work out for a little bit, um, all that stuff. But, you know, nothing's really been finalized yet just because of the COVID and travel restrictions right now. So um, when we get closer to the end of the season, we'll probably sit down and, and map out a plan uh, for the off season and, and figure that all out. But yeah, at this point, I'll probably head to LA if if restrictions allow me to. Great.
0: I mean, look, everyone I talk to, pro, Braves about this kid. They rave about, you know, his basketball IQ, um, how, how good of a person he is. Joe Engel's is a good friend of mine. I reached out to him. Um, Josh is texting him constantly about trying to figure out what he can do better, what he did well, asking questions. And a guy like Joe's a perfect pro. I mean, he's a consummate professional, does everything right. So, I think the the sky's the limit for you. I mean, I hope you go number one. I know you've moved up from from a late first round now to starting to etch that lottery pick numbers which is sensational and and look from on behalf of pro and i um especially myself going through all that i know the journey is going to be up and down you're going to be nervous but you know you've done all the work we're looking forward to watching your career and we really appreciate you joining us on rogue bugs
2: appreciate now thank you guys appreciate um appreciate everything appreciate you man hey thank you
0: all uh, right. Thanks to Josh Giddy again for joining us on the Rogue Bogues podcast. Um, hope you got a, a kick out of listening to his journey and, and and what the horizon looks like for him, how he's treating this season with the Adelaide 36ers. I think there were some absolute gems in there. Once again, at Rogue Bogues on all your social media platforms, all your podcast platforms that host, you will f- find us there and at Hoop Consultants and um, Mike. I hope you didn't break his balls too much.
1: Hey, folks, can I get my $1.99 back too? Cause I had to fucking spend it on Facebook to watch the thing live. I was one of me. It was me and like Javi Weinstein watching the fucking game last night at 3.30 in the morning. Can I get it? Can I get the expense? Can I, can Harvey I get the Weinstein corporate credit from card?
0: His, from his cell.
1: <laughs> yeah. about the cell. He, he was doing it on his, uh, on his contraband phone that he had us, you know, he had to smuggle in with a sock. So it was me and Weinstein. Can I get can I get my dollar ninety nine back plus tax? Fucking Zuckerberg got surely me. Surely from- you could
0: have found some illegal stream somewhere, man. we will get a, we'll gonna, you know, there'll be a few pop ups along the way that you might not appreciate, but surely there was a stream somewhere.
1: Bogues, I'm 400 pounds. I haven't seen my feet since the 90s. You think I'm fucking getting out of my chair to fucking do all that work?
0: Well, you can do it from your chair. Legal str- a stream is, you know, a website. You just got to Google illegal stream. <laughs> no, we don't condone that. <laughs> People should pay for no. for their for their viewing habits. You should always pay the premium. Don't be like 16-year-old Bogues and try to find everything illegally. That would be um, frowned upon.
1: But that is a cool way to watch NBL games. I don't know if all of the NBL games are like that. If you put people in the United States trying to watch Giddy play, I'm sure they're gonna do that more. You know, they're, they're gonna put his games on. And they, I didn't think I was gonna get charged. I just thought it was gonna be a, um, you know, like a 199. I mean, not no fee at all, just a Facebook Live. But like 20 minutes before the game started, of course, Dollar ninety nine, you had to pay for it. But I'll tell you what, it was a great stream. You got the telecast. It wasn't just it wasn't just a video and no audio. It was pretty good. I I thought it was uh, dollar ninety nine well spent.
0: Oh, you're not what are you getting for two dollars these days, mate? Nothing.
1: Cheeseburger, motherfucker.
0: A dollar menu still around, uh you? you? Gotta stay away from that one. You gotta stay away from that one. But uh...
1: ironically enough, I haven't eaten meat in about five years. I know I know everyone's gonna say fuck off, and I'm lying, but that is true. Well, yeah. Besides hot dogs and burgers. Yeah, you know.
0: They're vegan. Why not? You can get the plant-based shit these days. Sure. Anyway, we can go on forever.
2: Thanks again, Mike. Thanks again to Josh Goody for joining us, and we'll see you next week.
1: Thanks, guys.